Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But I'll have, I'll... what do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. Have it. You, you no no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline and Dude, are you even listening to me right now? Welcome to episode 128 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me in the Rack Shack, Chuck. There's more than just me in the Rack Shack. We got Joe in the Rack Shack, but he's not on a mic. Say hi, Joe. Hold on, let me swing it. Hey, guys. <laughs> that worked out nice. That was good. And we have a guest in the Rack Shack here. The one and only... The white buffalo himself. <laughs> the one we've been talking about for three years now to get on the podcast. Finally here in person in the Rack Shack, Mr. Jens Jorgensen. How are you, sir? Great. Yeah, sorry, guys. This is a long time overdue. <laughs> You're a busy man. I it's know, understandable. I take a lot of blame on myself as well. We uh, we talk about it all the time, but I then know. it was like, you know, one thing came up after another. You know, you were out killing animals and doing all kinds of fun stuff and then we had issues so it's not on you man no it's not we'll, on you we'll, we'll make sure we do this again before three years right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're gonna have to because we have a lot to break down on this one but before we get into it we gotta take care of a little quick business tino you want to talk about our partners real quick i would love to man because what are you I'm, wearing? I'm wearing some scree gear right now you bud. are i wear scree gear today as well that's good i went squirrel hunting in my scree gear oh there's no better thing man I, I want to take an opportunity here to like say this. A lot of podcasts plug a lot of products that kind of, I don't want to say they're gimmicky. Mm -hmm. You will notice that we only have a couple of partners. Right. Because it's stuff that we actually believe in, we actually use. I don't want people to have the misconception that we are like bought by these people and we're making all this money because this is not a podcast that we make. This is a hobby. <laughs> this is not a job for us. So yeah. I just want to like kind of throw that out there real quick. Like we, these partners, we absolutely do love them and we yeah. use this gear like Scree gear, 
unbelievable. VIP broadheads, unfreaking believable. Yeah. They're awesome. So I do want to say, yeah, I mean, with the Scree gear stuff, I bought into Scree from you know Chasing Tales podcast when he was talking about it. I was really you know back and forth with Walt. Like I've been looking into this stuff. I'm interested in it. I want to go to a layering system. I want to you know explore merino wool and. You know, I wore I wore Scree for two years before we even reached out and and asked them for you know a partnership type deal where it, it's not like a lucrative thing, but it's definitely one hundred percent been a huge benefit to us and our listeners with the discount code and everything else. Absolutely. And, I mean, I bought pretty much everything they have, and I've tried it, and I've made my own list. And if anybody out there is wants to know, you know, what the priority list is, I did that with my buddy at work that I told you just got the bundle. I sent him the priority list. He was, you know, super impressed with it. He's like, "Oh yeah, man, this this helps a lot." It it goes to a point where, you know, Scree is so cheap compared to like Sika. I can see his hoodie there. Or <laughs> if you pay full price, if you pay full price, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and some of these other places that you can really get two to three items a year and start to build that layering system mm-hmm. over time. Yeah, totally agree, man. I didn't want to go on like a super huge rant about mm-hmm. that, but I felt like that was kind of important because we do plug these guys every week and, yeah. you know. I, I, yeah, I don't want it to get to a point where it just sounds like we're just saying, hey, go buy Scree because we're fan, but we're not. We're actually people who use them, that believe in them, and I do think there's a benefit out there for some people that were, you know, might not be wearing a quality layering system or quality clothing. And whether it be Scree or whoever the other companies are, it, the end of the day is just you know, whatever best fits you. Absolutely. You know? And, you know, if you are looking to get some screen, you can always use the code WDP20 to get 20% off your first purchase. That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't tell you to do it, but if, you know, you just change your uh, email address every time, you can just keep getting that 20% off. Oh, good Googly. But googly. we didn't tell you that. You no. did not hear that here from us. <laughs> edit, edit, edit. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, VIP as well. We've been working with Matt and Cindy for a long time. Um, really great people. Yeah, he's been sending us broadheads back since the uh, the 2018, the, I think. Veterans, yeah, way back when. So, just great people, great people to support. Great broadheads. Yeah, unbelievable broadheads. Yeah, I uh, I talked my buddy into work on them too. Oh, he I've talked it, all kinds of people into VIPs, yeah, man. There's a few people I know now that are rocking them, which is it's really exciting to see. Yeah, I'm down for it, man. All right, let's get into this one. Gen Z. What's up? Oh, man. <laughs> we have so much to unload on this one. Let's not do what we normally do and just start into it and then have to backtrack. Let's start <laughs> at the at the very beginning. Little Fine. baby gens. Oh, man. <laughs> I guess, yeah. We'll start at the beginning. So kind of an intro, kind of, you know, how you grew up in hunting, you know, how you got into it and, and sure. all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, um, <clears throat> growing up here, my dad was an outdoorsman, right? Um so that's kind of where I got my introduction, I guess you would say. Like most, you know, a lot of people have their their father or grandfather or aunts or uncles, maybe aunts in today's day, maybe not back then. But so grew up with the dad that, you know, hunted as much as he could. Um, but we were also big into sports. So we didn't, you know, it wasn't like we lived hunting, but we did do quite a bit. And um, <clears throat> fishing, hunting, all that stuff outdoors. Camping, we had a motorhome when I was young. Um, so just kind of did a lot of stuff being outdoors. And, and I also remember when I was young, my dad would go out west, right? And I'm sure we'll get into some of this. My, I have a pretty big Western bug. Um, <clears throat> that's a trip I do almost every year. I get out West somewhere, you know? So, Heck but yeah. I do remember when I was little, you know, my dad heading out West and like anxiously waiting. Obviously back then we didn't have cell phones and all that stuff. And 
but anxiously waiting for, you know, once every couple of days for him to call and be like, Hey, did you get anything? You know, did you get an elk? Did you get a mule deer or whatever? And, um, so always had an interest in that. And also kind of showing my age a little bit, you know, read a lot, magazines, books, stuff like that. And I still do. Oh yeah. And <laughs> grew up watching Gordon Eastman, you know, so, um, with a lot of the Western stuff back then. And Heck yeah, man. So, um, yeah. So that kind of started that way. And then, you know, growing up where we grew up here, I grew up in New Wilmington, right? Um, kind of a rural, rural area. A lot of my friends are, you know, hunter and fishermen. So as we kind of got older, you know, out with them and would hunt and fish with them. And, and then as luck would have it, my, my now wife at the time is my girlfriend. We were high school sweethearts and, um, her family's big outdoorsman. Um, her, she's got three older brothers. So they were kind of out of the picture already married and gone by the time I came around. But her dad, I ended up being like his fourth son, right? Like, so he worked in a steel mill, and, like, when he was working midnights, like, then we'd hunt all the time. And as a matter of fact, when I was in college, um, played, you know, some sports in college, but I would make my schedule where I'd have at least two days where I either didn't have a class or didn't have a class till the afternoon, and I'd go hunt with him. Like, we'd go out and shoot yeah, pheasants, we'd go out and, <laughs> yes. you know, hunt deer, whatever. So I hunted quite a bit, you know, even when I was in college. And then um, what really got me into the Western thing was – for my my senior graduation present, my birthday present, and my part of my Christmas present that year, my dad took me to Wyoming on a black bear hunt. Oh, wow. Awesome. So we went out there, um, hunted black bears, and then also went and saw Yellowstone and kind of did some of that. And I'm like, I can I can dig this. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> um, so that was like my first kind of experience with the Out West. And then... I'm like, this is something I got to do again, right? But then college came and with sports and everything and just couldn't get out. But then, sure, you know, just a few years after college, I went out. Um, probably two or three years after college was my first trip out west. And I've probably been out there now, God, I don't know, 25 times maybe. Wow. That's so awesome. Maybe man. more. I don't know. I'd have to count. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to sit down and count. But it, there's, there's, since a, since a couple years after college, there's probably only, I could probably count on one hand the amount of times I've missed being out there, hmm. you know. So. Um, that's kind of how things started, you know, um, learned to bow hunt by myself. My dad wasn't a big, big bow hunter. Um, just didn't have the time basically. Um, but read magazines, the old American hunter, right? Um, there was an archery section in there. Chuck Adams wrote. I love Chuck Adams, man. So I've been a Chuck Adams junkie since I was a little kid and I have never shot anything but a Hoyt basically Mm -hmm. because of Chuck Adams. Um, so I'm, I'm a Hoyt guy and have been since, since then. And I have a funny story. My first, first archery, I mean, Keep going on this. Oh, yeah. Okay. Go ahead, man. So my first archery deer, I had a buddy that was like, oh, you got to hunt out of tree stands, right? And this was, I don't remember, maybe junior, sophomore, junior in high school. I'm like, well, I don't have one. He's like, well, I got something you can borrow. And it was an old Baker tree stand, okay? Which, oh, I don't know if you know sweet. these, they were the wood <laughs> platforms. You had like a bungee around your heels. Yeah. They and he's like, he's like, you know, you just hug the tree, pull your knees up, stand up and hug, you know, go up higher. So... <laughs> <laughs> he gave it to me on a, it was, I remember just distinctly on a Friday and it was football season. Okay. So I'm like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to figure out how to climb a tree. So I don't remember what kind of tree it was this one tree in our backyard. All I remember is it like, got, it's not a shag bark hickory, but really rough bark on it. But I, fuck, whatever, you know, so I had a t-shirt on. <laughs> so I go, I start climbing this tree and I get, I don't know, maybe, maybe 10 feet off the ground and you know, hug, you know, hugging going up and the stand let loose and I went down. I don't know how far I went, but pretty far. And oh. then, I mean, the inside of both of my arms chewed up and I had a football game that night. Yeah. So I had to wear like 
the coaches had to put these big sleeves on my arms because I had all these scabs and blood all over my arms for football. And I'm like, I don't know about this tree stand thing, you know. <laughs> but I ended up did shooting a deer that year, a little eight point out of a out of that out of one of those bakers. But oh my and that was gosh. back before. I mean, like tree stands, you know, safety belts weren't a thing. Like mm-hmm. it was, man. Looking back on that, that was kind of that's scary. Used, I mean, it was yeah, scary to be standing up there, like, and the platforms were small. Yeah. You know, and like if you had to like turn around, it was like you felt like you were on a tightrope just oh, man. spinning around on that thing. It, it was kind of nerve wracking. But so that's kind of how I got into the archery side of things, you know, um, kind of on my own with uh, that was a Hoyt game getter, too. I remember that bow shooting <laughs> XX 75 Easton arrows, those big Sweet. old Lincoln logs, you know, <laughs> um, big four inch fletching. You know what I mean? I had oh, a Blissenberger yeah. Fletcher, fletched all my own arrows. Feathered and, fletchings? Not feathered. They, no. were, they were plastic. I'm like okay. that old Charles. <laughs> <laughs> they were popular back yeah, then. Yeah. I I remember we had my my dad and my, our older brother had those big long fletchings on their arrows. Yeah, yep. you know. I mean, I don't know if they're real feather. I don't know, but they they yeah. look like feathers. Yep. <laughs> so. They might have been plastic. Maybe they just look like feathers. I don't remember. Yeah, that oh, is so man. awesome. That, so that, that's I guess a quick synopsis <laughs> of the beginning of my my hunting career. Anyway, heck yeah, know? dude. Heck yeah. So, I mean, staying with like how you got into stuff, you know, obviously a big part of how we know you is through taxidermy sure. as well. Uh, how did you really get involved in that? So I've always wanted to, since I was a little kid, be a taxidermist. I, I um, I'm be careful. I say this cause I kind of like to think I'm a manly man, you know, play sports <laughs> in college and stuff, but I, I did have an artistic flair growing up, right? Mm-hmm. I was big into art. Um, you know, did a lot of art through art through high school, um, as a matter of fact, even I'll brag a little bit here. Go ahead, um, man. I, uh, our art teacher at school, when they, they had to develop a new diploma, they had me do a drawing of, of our school because they did a, um, oh, they shit. did a remodel of the Wilmington school at the yeah. time and they had a drawing of the school inside of all the diplomas. Well, since they did a remodel, they had to have it redrawn. So I did it. And last I know, as of a handful of years ago, I saw somebody's diploma drawing still in there. You know, That's freaking that awesome. That is so anyway, sweet, man. I've always had this artistic thing and. Growing up as a hunter, I always wanted to mount stuff, you know, so like you could ask my mom and she was little, when I was little, like she'd come home and there'd be dead shit in the freezer. She's like, Jens, you know, what's this dead bird or this dead dad in the freezer? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to mount it, mom, you know, and <laughs> she, she tells stories all the time. And, um, and like I was, you know, big in the, when I was, this was like early, early, you know, you watch turkey videos and stuff and, you know, then people would mount fans. Well, I had fans of like, all kinds of bird, like Robin, like whatever. Oh right? my god, I had that's a bluebird. Fans all over. <laughs> and um, so anyway, that that kind of was like had this real massive interest in it. And um, you know, had a couple things mounted early on, and then eventually I got to the point where I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this. And um, so I just started networking around some taxidermists and talking to some people, and and um, a guy by the name of Dan Snyder up in the Greenville way. Um, when I talked to him, he's like, you really need to join the Pennsylvania Taxidermist Association come to a show, meet some people. So that's what I did. And um, it's just blossomed from there. You know, I met some really great people um, that, that, I, that I've then since trained under and come in full circle now. I'm actually now the president of the Pennsylvania yeah, Taxidermy Association. Wild. So it's kind of like <laughs> that's kind of been my growth through that, you know. And um, so, yeah, it's it's been a passion for a long time. And I would love to do it full time, but I just have too good of a day job, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, with benefits and all that fun stuff, mm-hmm. you know. and um, But – I will say that after the last last couple of years, though, it's you, you question whether you want to do full time. It's been a struggle for everybody these last couple of years with COVID issues, like everything else in this world. You know, supplies and tanneries, and it's just mm-hmm. been a 
disaster. I'm uh, sure. But it, it's getting better. It's it's I think we've turned a corner on that. But um so that's kinda how I got into it and started just doing, you know, first couple of years just did like for family and close friends and um and then just kinda grew from there. So yeah. Love it. Heck yeah, man. Absolutely love it. That is awesome. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite a tale, too. I didn't know you. I mean, I right. didn't know you were the president of it now. That is freaking mm-hmm. awesome, Yeah, man. I don't know. Sometimes I second guess where I should do that just from a time standpoint. But, um, no, it's, it's you know, it, the association has given me a ton. Um, so I feel like it's my duty to kind of give back, you know. So, sure. Um, so, yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's what I was talking about this show. You know, we're playing on that. And, you know, the show this year, we're – we're doing that Saturday. There's always a public viewing, and we usually have a pretty good crowd come in to see, um, you know, the show pieces and such. But this year, we're actually going to do a little bit more than just a, just the public viewing. We're going to actually have like a Sportsman's Day that way. That um, Sportsman's Day that day, um, where we're going to try to have a couple speakers come in, um, kind of like a hunting celebrity type of thing. You know, kind of come in and talk about hunting tactics potentially, and then maybe even have the game commission come in and talk. You know, maybe about the elk program or the awesome. bear program or something. We'll see. Um, and then there'll be some local sportsmen's clubs and stuff like that, have setups there. So then, you know, and we're going to have food trucks outside. So the public can come and spend basically the whole day there, you know, probably from like, I'm guessing, 9 to 4, 9 to 5. Sweet. What else are you going to do in that time of year, right? Right, right. Um, but you come, you know, listen to some people talk, maybe learn some stuff, see some vendors, and then come come through and, you know, your ticket will get you kind of see all that, you know, and um Obviously, you never know what kind of pieces are going to show up to our show, but Pennsylvania has one of the largest taxidermy shows in the country. You know, like it rivals the national and the world shows. It's it's a pretty well respected organization, and um, you know, there's usually anywhere from 150 to over 200 pieces there, and they're not just a deer on the wall shoulder mount. I mean, there's like some really really artistic pieces and yeah. big pieces. You know, so it's cool stuff to see. High end, high end stuff. That's awesome, and that's open to the public and everything. Yep. Can you uh, throw out like the dates and stuff? I think you mentioned it was April first. Yes, yeah, so the public day will be April first, um, and our show this year is at the in Indiana, PA, at the Kavalchuk Center, which is there, like where their basketball facility is. As a matter of fact, the the showroom is on the the basketball court. Sweet. Um, and like kind of, there's the big foyer there where you kind of first come in with the ticket places. That's kind of where all the vendors will be, and then they have an auditorium in there, like a you know slope seating auditorium, and that's where we'll have the the lectures going on. So yeah, April first. You know, we'll have it on our Facebook page and try to blast it out there. But um, we haven't nailed down exactly. The public viewing of the tax term is usually from 1 to 4. Mm-hmm. Um, so what our, our initial plans right now are we're going to have, like, the speaking stuff in the morning. Um, and then kind of have a break, maybe 12 to 1, where people can go to the food carts and, or food trucks or whatever and get, get some lunch. Yeah. And then uh, then just kind of start walking through looking at the, at the taxidermy. So. That's awesome, man. We'll plug it on all of our stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. Love, I mean, hopefully we can make things work, and you guys can get there. You could maybe even do a live podcast. I would there. love to do a podcast there. That yeah. would be really fun. It'd be cool. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, get interview some people or do whatever, you know. But Heck it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good deal. Very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you, I mean, you're so immersed in the taxidermy, taxidermy game and everything. I'm, I'm just curious if there's somebody listening and they have even the slightest interest in taxidermy. What's like? Their foot in the door, basically. Yeah, it's, you know, things have changed from when I was younger. Um, there wasn't stuff online, right? Like, that wasn't there, you know? Um, so, it was basically, you had to, and, and taxidermists were really, it seemed like back then, more tight-lipped and secretive about things. Like, they weren't very willing to share. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that mentality has changed significantly. People do have 
a lot of stuff at their fingertips, um, you know, just online, right? Like just on your phone, you can look up tons of things. But I would say this, you can learn certain things and get to a certain level by books, videos, online stuff. But without question, hands-on or a good qualified taxidermist looking over your shoulder teaching you, you, you it's, it's priceless, right? Um, and the best way to do that is to network like any business basically. And the best way to network is through the association. Like I've met people, you know, through our association, they're lifelong friends. They're you know, I mean, world champions. Um, and, you know, you sit with them at the bar at the place or have dinner with them or lunch with them. And, and you just, you learn so much. And then, and then I think to, you know, to, to really up your game um, is just to compete, you know, like come to the show and compete, bring a piece. I don't care whether you think it's horrible or not. Um, it's invaluable to have a judge stand there with you, looking at your piece, critiquing it and telling you what you need to do. And what that is going to do is there's two, there's two people, wait, two types of people, right? Um, some are going to react and be like, Oh, that guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. This thing's awesome, right? And you're going to go home and then you're not going to get better. Um, or other people, if you want to get better, you'd be like, wow, you know what? This isn't nearly as good as what I thought it was or my customers thought it was. And then you're driven to go home and get better. Okay. Study more, study reference more, you know, go see live reference. Um, you know, some people think it's just, and it can be to an extent, it's just you take, you know, a skin tan and slap it on a mannequin. I don't want to say anybody can do that. But to an extent, anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. But to really pull off a piece to where it really, really looks alive and being anatomically correct, you can't. You got to take time. You got to study. You got to learn anatomy. You don't need to know all the fancy names of all the muscles and the bone structure and everything like that. But you need to know where it is, what it should look like, how it should change depending on what the position the animal's in. And um, you learn that by either being driven to be good. Yeah. Um, and by going to, to shows and seminars. I mean, we, we have world champions, people putting on seminars at our show that if you're, if you're coming to the show, it's free. It's basically free, right? Like you'd, if you were to go spend a day with that guy at their shop, you'd probably spend $1,000, $2,000, right? That's crazy. So wow. this, it's a good way to, to learn some stuff, um, dip your toes in the water, and meet people and you know, grow from there. So. Definitely. There I can think of a couple of videos. Like I don't, I know absolutely, I, I shouldn't say I know absolutely nothing about taxidermy, but for, you know, purposes of it, I know absolutely nothing about taxidermy, but you know, seeing these videos of, of people mounting things, I mean, just from them sanding down forms and then putting the clay on it, sculpting everything, it really is a, like an amazing art form. It is. Yeah. Truly and it's, gifted people. Yeah. And it's, um, especially if you get beyond just a shoulder mountain wall, I mean, don't get me wrong. That's the bread and butter of most shops, right? Now, some of the bigger shops, they do not a lot of that because they do a lot of big life-size and African and stuff like that. And, I mean, I've done all that too, but percentage-wise, you know, different shops will kind of be different. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, just being able to, to sculpt an eye on one side and then be able to replicate it on the other side and not have them look completely off, right? Or an ear butt, you know, like all that stuff you sculpt out of clay. There's only so much given to you within the, the form, and some forms aren't anatomically correct either, right? Yeah. Like there's some that I, when I get a form, if it's a pose that I need, like I need to, I'll cut it up and change it to make it anatomically correct, right? So, um, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I love it. Passionate about it. My son's, my son's really kind of digging it. So, you know, starting to get into it a little bit and, um, he does some fish. You know, I've seen some of the fish he's yeah, done. It's he's, awesome. He does really My well. son's, he's, um, it's amazing. He's, for his age, he's very patient and very, um, kind of like me, he's got, 
I would say I have a touch of OCD. My wife will say I got a ton of OCD. <laughs> um, but, <clears throat> you know, that, that can help. But it also can be a hindrance, right? But so my son, he's really particular about things and very patient, you know, so that, that helps for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he, I've seen some of his work. Very, very impressive. Yeah, he's he's good, and um, you know he's still young, and I hope he I hope he he it, you know I'm not forcing him to do this stuff. He wants to do this mm-hmm. stuff, which is awesome. Um, that's both hunting, fishing, and the taxidermy side of things. You know, you don't want to force anything on because then you'll push him away eventually. But um, so I hope I hope the passion stays. You know, and um, I think he's got do. a foothold on I it, man. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would I would guess. You see definitely. the smile on his face, yeah. just holding a beaver, dude. Oh, he's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been seeing a couple of those photos. Yeah, yep. unbelievable. Yeah, Trapline's been pretty good last. It's got days. him. <laughs> yeah, heck yeah, man. So, but then I mean, he still likes being a kid. You know, he still likes the sports. Mm-hmm. Right now, he's probably at home. You know, gaming with his friends on Xbox. You know what I mean? So he he needs time to be a kid too. You know? Yeah, so, definitely. He's probably pretty good. I might need to get his gamer tag by the end. Yeah, of this. yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't even know. I'm clueless yeah. on that stuff. I, I need him to carry me to some yeah. pubs. You know. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. I mean, it's really cool. And like I said, that's kind of, I mean, obviously, we we kind of got to know your brother years ago mm-hmm. playing softball and nails and playing with him for years and uh, years. He's twisting my arm so hard to come do that. And, oh, yeah, man. I you mean, know, college, I'm a college baseball player. You know, yeah. I've never swung at a so- slow pitch softball. Really? Never. Never yeah. done it. Yeah. You and would. I'm afraid I'd look like a fool. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Jens, you need to come play with us sometime. And. And well, now you know, I'm busy with my son, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I coach his little league, I coach his travel ball, so I live vicariously through the young kids now. There you so. go. I, I I dig it, man. Coaching's fun. Yeah, coaching is really a good time, especially when you get to coach them young. And the travel ball stuff, crazy. Yeah, it's you know, crazy. I don't want to get too sidetracked here because it's a hunting podcast, but that's the one good thing about me being the manager of in the organization that we're with. Um, we're not doing it to where it's completely engulfing, right? Good. Like, um, we're not. Every weekend of, of the whole summer, right? It's it's just a good adjunct to the to the little league, but we still have it where our kids are still all playing in their little league with their friends and still can do all stars and everything. And yeah, they're still young, man. He's like I'm coaching twelve of you this year, and they still need to be kids, right? mm-hmm. definitely. Not playing three sixty five, you know. Like yep. right now, like my son hasn't touched a baseball since probably October. Yeah, you know, he's in basketball right now, and we'll start up here January, right after the holidays. We'll start start indoor training, but. But uh, he needs to be playing other sports and, and needs they, they need a break. Yeah, can't miss spring gobbler either. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's all fired up because he killed his first bird last year, Jake. Right. And um, we've been getting some pretty good pictures of some long beards this year. And he's like, awesome. oh, man. He's, <laughs> this fall, like, you know, you know, turtle cam is out for deer, but we've been getting some pictures of long beards and he's all, he's like ready. He's ready. Yeah. To yeah. So I, I've been getting a lot. <laughs> on camera as well a lot of uh, a lot of turkeys in surprising places but i mean it's it's good i've been hearing good things hopefully the uh the yeah, poult survival i think and everything. the last couple of years we've had pretty good hatches to be honest yeah. with you you know and um you know i took care of a turkey killer today right so my man you know i got a fisher today on the trap right. line so that they're, they're big turkey predators um but it's funny my son you know that he shot a jake last year and so we, I didn't like if we're just doing a fan mount and, and you know your beard and spurs. I'm like, you're, we're not mount. just because your dad's tax numbers doesn't mean everything you kill gets life size mounted, right? I'm like, I've got to freaking kill a long beard before we're going to put a put a full mount on this thing. Yeah. So, so that's just going out to kill a kill a long beard so he can put it on the wall. I guess. I thought it was funny the other day. I was over at Jen's place and I was dropping off one of my my Ohio buck and uh, he showed me a deer of his own that was what eight years old, something yeah. like that. Um, <laughs> it's funny because you would think when you're a taxidermist and you do, 
you know, all you start off doing your own work and family and friends work that, like you said, you kill something nice, you go out west, you kill all these trophies, you'd have all this own taxidermy for yourself. Well, doesn't seem to be the case. Seems like you've gotten pretty busy. Yeah, and it's um, I changed some I changed some things this year where to where I'm going to be able to get caught up. Um, just kind of how I'm handling my hides and where they're going, and got some guys going to help me prepping things, and so um, yeah, it's going to really help. But the last couple of years of the COVID thing really screwed things up and just backlog of stuff but yeah i have a personal freezer that i probably have i'd have to sit really down and do it that deer i mounted last year first year i've mounted for myself in probably six seven years um but i have a freezer that probably has two mid-170s mule deer in it i've mounted <laughs> a couple elk my ibex probably four antelope half a dozen whitetails for myself <laughs> oh jens come one, on bro one, two, PA, how big is freezer <laughs> i know it's full of my shit <laughs> Um, and that's two PA mid or low one forty eight points that I have mounted for myself. Super yeah. sweet. So I have a lot of reasons I need to get caught up because I need to get some of my own stuff done. And, right. Um, need to fill that house up. Yeah. And I mean, I my wife already thinks we have enough, but I mean, she, look, I'm blessed. I mean, totally. But I mean, fortunately, my wife, like I said, grew up with an outdoor family, and she is so supportive. I mean, she knows my personality. I'm, I'm a busy guy. Like I. Some, and I admit it, sometimes too busy, right? But that's just how I'm wired. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't watch any TV. Um, like, you can ask my wife. I just can't sit and not do stuff. Like, I'm always doing something. And um, But I'm blessed. I mean, she she supports my passion, like, 100%. You know, whether it's gone hunting. Um, I do go on a lot of trips. I mean, not, you know, like, I'm not gone, like, six weeks a year hunting. But every year, I'm usually going somewhere. Um, but I also make sure that I balance that and we do family vacations. And I try to spend time with the family. But um, I'm just, I don't know, maybe a workaholic. And yeah. I, I'm not necessarily proud of that, but I try to, you know, I don't know. I just try to, I'm a people pleaser kind of person, you know? So, like, I try to do stuff for other people all the time. And that's one thing I love about taxidermy is you're doing stuff for other people that makes them happy, preserving memories. Um, and it's probably what's partially got me in a little bit of a hole right now between all the COVID issues. And I, I have trouble saying no to people, right? And and I feel I do good work. And there it's not that there's other people that don't do good taxidermy work, but... I guess I'm wired where I think I do the best, right? Yeah, and, and if you turn somebody down, they're going to go to someone else, and you don't want that because you don't want them to have something lesser. Correct. And, 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 and that's not a dig on other tax terms, no. like you said, but obviously you have that you have that special something in every one of your mounts. I mean, I we try. Seen yeah, it. I like to think so, and I mean, I, I you know, you know, being a competitor, you know, like when you do a competition piece, you could never do that. I mean, because you could put 40 to 80 hours in one piece for a competition, right? Wow. If you did that for a customer, you'd have to charge them freaking eight grand for a deal, right. right? Like, it's just unrealistic. You can't, unless you want to make 25 cents an hour. And I would tell you one thing that's changed over time is you, as you get older and as you have kids, which Austin, you now know, Joe, you're going to know, like, is that public knowledge? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I said that. I'm like, damn. Did I just like spill a, spill a can of beans here that I shouldn't have? Um, but you start to look at, and, and I try to do this, and I know sometimes I'm probably not even the best at it, but you, you look at your value of time, yeah. right? And early on, I didn't put value on my time, right? And as you as you kind of get older and wiser, which you, that should happen, right? As you get older, you should get wiser, mm-hmm. um, or you're just not improving in life. You know, you start to value your time. And, um, so, you know, when you do a mount, you, you got to figure out how many, you know, this is one thing a lot of tax members to make a state, make a mistake. They just throw some number out and say, oh, here's what I'm going to charge. Be like, oh, you're raping somebody if you're charging this much for a mount. I'm like, 
know, like if you look at how much supplies are and then you figure out how many hours you have in a piece and then do the math, right? Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people don't understand is like all the overhead and stuff that goes into this business. Like even if you're doing it out of your house, there's overhead, sure. right? If you're running multiple freezers, there's electricity. If you have a shop that you have a bunch of lights that are on that normally wouldn't be on, there's electricity. If you have a shed like this that you're doing it in and you're running power out here to heat it and stuff, that's overhead, right? And you also should your overhead should also include paying yourself, should include setting money aside for the business. They don't think about all that. They just mm-hmm. think, oh, you know, if you got $200 in supplies and you charge $500, you made, th- you made $300. No, you didn't. Yeah. The number one, probably the number one biggest mistake and misconception with uh, self-employed people is the value of oh, time. time and the hourly rate. It's crazy. Right? It's like some of these guys, their prices are so low. I'm like, legit, you could go to work at McDonald's and make more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if you're Mountain Deer for $400, you're probably making under $10 an hour. Yeah. And I'm like, it, right now with me, you know, with my family and kids and coaching and trying to do everything, sometimes trying to do too much, but with everything I try to do, I'm like, my time's worth more than $10 an hour. Yeah. As much as I love it, like, I can't justify spending hours on something for nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, unless it's a personal piece, then that's different, right? But... Um, you, you kind of got to, like you said, Charles, like, you know, you, you got to understand business. And unfortunately, um, not everybody that's self-employed understands business. You know, they right. might know the work side of it. And this is not just tax revenue. This is just life, right? Mm-hmm. They might understand the work side of it and, and stuff. But, man, you to really be successful, you got to understand the business side. And, and the biggest thing there is value of time. Like, you just don't get that back, right? And um, so, anyway, not to get all... <laughs> <laughs> no. business geeky on this thing and be Debbie Downer on business, own a business, but you got to be smart about things. And that, mm-hmm. I would say that's the other thing. Awesome. You asked about like people interested in taxidermy, like don't come in and be like, Oh man, I'm going to, cause I'm new and I'm not good. I'm going to charge really low cause I want to get my foot in the door and I want to get customers. I'm going to get them with price. That's, Oh, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Like it's just, it, yeah. and what's going to happen is you're going to get burnt out cause you're not making money, mm-hmm. working your ass off and you're not making anything. Right. And it's just like, you'll just, you'll burn out. Yeah. You know, so treat it as a business, even if it's a hobby, you got to treat it. And listen, I was been there and done that, right? I'm not just, I'm not coming in here like as an elitist saying, this is how you need to do things. It's like, I've been there and done that. I started really, really low thinking, oh, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, you know, kind of, I don't know if this is even good. So I I can't justify chart my now. Like, call a plumber, come to your house. What do they charge an hour? (laughs) Ain't 10 bucks. Ain't 10 bucks. Right? Yeah. And that's a trade. The tax term is a trade, basically. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, you you got to know and feel that you're worth more than that, you know. So anyway. So, I mean, that being said, that's a whole realm in itself. But if you were going to, let's let's say somebody that's not in this area. Yep. Somebody that's not looking for you in particular. Yep. If they were looking for a taxidermist, let's let's give like three points. What are they looking for for a quality taxidermist? Let's say like or, a price or range. Or pr- don't. don't okay. I would say one thing. Do not ever look at price. Okay. See, this is perfect. That's yeah. why like, I asked. That this. should be like number 10 okay. on a list. Okay. Um, I, I mean, if at all possible, before you even kill something. Yeah. Like I think, you know, if, if you're a serious hunter, I think you should have a taxidermist or two, potentially depending on, you know, whatever you're doing. But that you know that if you kill something good, that you don't even have to think about it then, you know, um, because you, you should be doing your homework, right? And it's. Going there, seeing some stuff in person, maybe even asking for some references. Some other people have done some work for them. You know, pictures if they have a website or Facebook page, you know, always helps. But go see the quality of the work. 
and then also just by talking to the person, right? Like, I don't know, sometimes, I don't know if, you know, if you can read people, right, and see, like, just kind of get a feel for if they're a shyster or not, you know, <laughs> if they're serious and, and passionate about it or not. Um, so, but the biggest thing is just looking at the quality of the work, you know, and um, up close and personal. And that, that would be the biggest thing I would say. Okay. Um, as far as, like, questions, I think where he was going with this, like, if you were to ask them questions to try to figure them out. Yeah, like, I'm just trying to find, like, the whole, uh, yeah. Like, is a, a good question, like, hey, what's your turnaround time? Is yeah, that something that, you would ask? Yeah, um, and that can vary. Um, like, these last couple of years, I mean, everybody's turnaround time has got all screwed up for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone's telling you, yeah, I'll have it done in four months or six months, is that a red flag? Right not necessarily. I mean, okay. prior to a couple of years ago, like, I would have archery deer in, say, that came in, you know, the first week or two of October. Like, I would be mounting those after just after the first of the year. But then by the time you get to the, you know, most times you or, you, you you mount them in the order they come in, right? Mm-hmm. These last couple of years, I've had them all out of whack because my tanner's been getting to me out of order. So, like, I've been mounting things out of order. But typically, you know, first in, first out kind of thing. So, but there's a time. You know, it takes time to turn them and salt them and flush them and tan them and then, and then get them mounted. Like, if somebody says they can turn it around for you, unless it's, like, the first deer in the, of theirs in the door that year, they say, oh, I'll have this back to you in a month. That's a little bit of a red flag to me because that mean, must mean they're not very busy, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, good point. Um, <laughs> yeah, first now, if off. you're the first one in and they've, you know, say by hunting season they've already finished all of last year's deer and you're the first deer in the door and they say, oh, yeah, you know, I tan in-house so I can have it tan within a week or so and then get it mounted. And, you, you know, after you mount a deer, usually they it sit for two weeks or so to dry before you do the finish work and paint it. You know, so there's a there's a timeline to everything. Um, like, never as a tax member, you should never rush things unless you, for whatever reason, absolutely have to. But when you rush things, you risk that whenever that's sitting on somebody's wall, it kind of falling apart a little bit because you mm-hmm. didn't you skip some steps and sure. things. So, yeah, timeline. I mean, I feel awful that I got some deer that are a couple years out. Right, I hate it. And, um, but that's why. I mean, you want to hear something really awful? I haven't mounted my own son's deer from 2019 yet because I've been. Cranking on customers, oh, I feel man. like like shit dad for that statement. Yeah, um, and I feel horrible about it. Um, but like I'm just, I'm like I got to get caught up with some of this customer. You got customers and stuff. I know, man. but I mean, yeah. my son, right? Yeah, yeah, my yeah. own deer is one thing. Like yeah. I don't mind putting, like I said, right. I got a freezer for my shit. But like I haven't even mounted my own son's 2019 deer, which was my target buck that year, by the way, that he killed. It's a <laughs> that's big why deer. you haven't done it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that Oops, sorry, like, son. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's not how this works, son. You're not old enough to shoot my target deer. But, hey, it's, you know, it's like, um, yeah, it's a horrible feeling. Because I know, like, people are excited to get this stuff back, you know. And yeah. So I, I need to get back on track for multiple reasons. But, so, kind of got a little sidetracked there. Okay. Timeline, yeah. I mean, you know, but most tax numbers are going to tell you, most good quality, busy tax numbers are going to tell you a year. Yeah. Right? And hopefully they'll surprise you and get it done a little bit quicker. So if they tell you, you know, anything less than that, you should ask follow-up questions. Yeah. Right. Like you should do some investigative yeah. work to see why. Yeah. See why. And like I said, if it's because so they're done with all of last year's deer, which <clears throat> used to be the way I was, you know, I used to have used to have that way. And so yeah, the first ones in wouldn't take that long, and you begin mm-hmm. them out. That's totally acceptable then, right? right but like right. if you were like number one hundred deer in the door for them, and they say, "Oh, you'll have this back next month," like wow, like how you know what I mean? So yeah. is that my cape? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we'll get into that. I want to talk about that about you know. What you do after you kill stuff and yeah. taking care of oh, yeah, tapes definitely. and also out-of-state stuff. Like, definitely. Kind of do some education here mm-hmm. later. Um, so, yeah, I mean, turnaround time, talk about that. You know, talk about their you know, deposits and, you know, you, I would ask – I mean, you can talk price, but do not base whether you're going to take them there on price. Um, 
quality over price for sure. Yeah, don't, oh, don't definitely. Just listen. So don't shop the cheapest coyote prices. Is that what you're telling yeah. me, Jen? Somebody, somebody, <laughs> somebody might know about that in this room. <laughs> I mean, like, it's funny. Like, sometimes you, I, la- I don't laugh, but I think about this. I'm like, you know, somebody would call. If somebody calls me and, and the first thing they ask me is, what do you charge for your deer mount? I already, ha- in the back of my mind, have a feeling like, I'm not sure I want this guy to be my customer. Yeah. 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 Because he's um, shopping you and out. And then, not always, but sometimes then they roll in in an $80,000 truck, <laughs> you know, have a $1,500 bow, mm-hmm. you know, a $5,000 custom rifle. And I'm like, you're going to quabble over a $50 difference between my price and somebody else's price on a deer mount that's actually going to last your lifetime, you know, it's right. going to bring these memories back. So look, I know, look, taxidermy is a luxury item, right? It's mm-hmm. not a necessity. It's not food. It's not shelter. So I get it. You know, price, I understand the price thing, but man, if this is like a buck of a lifetime, the last thing you want to do is take it to somebody that you saved a hundred bucks on, but it looks like hell. And it's, you've got to look at that the rest of your life. Or, and I've done this more than I care to remember, but I've had people bring me deer that have been mounted that are just horrible. And I'm like, okay. So you, you saved a little bit of money on this one the first time, but now you're paying full price for your second one. So yep. this deer now costs you a shit ton of money to get d- done, you know? So anyway, quality, look at their stuff, you know, talk to some maybe other people that you've used them, turnaround time, price. I mean, I wouldn't be afraid to ask. You know, there's a different way to preserve hides. You know, you can tan them. You can do dry preserve. I'm very big on tanning hides. I'm not a big fan of dry preserves. Um, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, and then just get a feel for them. Could you ask them also if they're maybe in the association? You know, that could be something. Yes. Um, ask them if they're in the taxidermy association. Because here's another thing. Like, I, things have always things have been changing drastically. Every field, like, things advance, right? <clears throat> and the best way to keep up with latest and greatest of anything is, you know, obviously now with social media and stuff, you can, you can do that too. But, like, at these shows, you'll learn, like, new techniques, new products. Like, you know, all the vendors will be there with their new products. And, you know, just – and, like – you just don't, we don't mount things the same way today that we did 20 years ago, you know, and some guys do, and you can tell like they've never been outside of their little box, you know what I mean? And so typically, not always, but typically if somebody's like big, you know, in the association, going to the shows and stuff, like they really care and they want to be, you know, up to date on things and be good and competitive. And people will say like, you know, I'm going to the show. There's two reasons you go to a show, right? <clears throat> and I don't care what anybody says. If you're putting an animal in there, like, you're, you're competing and you want to do good, mm-hmm. right? Regard Like, ultimately, I go there to learn. But if I put a piece in, like, deep down, dude, I'm a sports guy, right? Like, I freaking want to win. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm competitive, yeah. you know? Um, but it's it's an invaluable learning experience. So somebody, if somebody's doing that, you know they are wanting to get better, mm-hmm. right? So that shows some drive. They at least desire. have a passion. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I don't think that's an unrealistic thing. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, I feel like that's a good point, too. I actually like asking, are you in the association? Not saying that you're not accredited because you're not in the association or no, anything there's like some, that. But I know some really good taxidermists that aren't, right? right? And they do really good work. So that's not by any means like a, a black or white. Mm-hmm. But um, there's something to be gained with that correct. question. If they are in it, then you could also reach out to other people in the association potentially and say, hey, do you know this guy? Yeah. yeah. You know, do yep. you know his work? Have you seen his work? Yeah. You know, so yeah, that's, 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 I guess that kind of the main, main things I would say. And then, um, what else on that? Anything? Or you I, I, I would, here's, here's the, my next kind of question that's still along the lines of this. What are some like super red flags? Like, so let's say you call up five tax terms, you pick one, you go there and you see this, what's a red, what's kind of some red flags that or, you want to kind yeah. of avoid? 
or what to look for if you're looking at a mount yeah. that they have on the wall. Yeah, so I would say um, there's that saying, and I don't, miss, I don't think it's unique to taxidermy, but eyes are uh, eyes are the what is it, the window to your soul or something like that. Yeah, you know what's yeah. that saying? Yeah, sure. I know what you're talking about. I know exactly. Sounds what you real mean. philosophical, right? <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> um, realistically, to me, the, the, I think probably one of the quickest things to look at is is eyes. You know, the face, like the eyes, like how that. How, the eye shape, I don't know, if you just look at a good mount versus a bad mount next to each other, one of the first big glaring things is, are eyes, in my opinion. Um, you don't want them looking like Cookie Monster, one yeah, up, one down. And it's yeah, just, <laughs> and the shape, um, the shape of them and stuff, you know what I mean? Like, And then the second probably would be um, nose and ear, Th- those three yeah. things. Outside of the obvious stuff, like, you know, someone put the horns on backwards, which I've heard has happened. <laughs> Um, <laughs> or like heard, a big uh, heard that as well. Yeah, and um, or I mean, if you look at a seam, and if you can see like a huge sewing seam, or um, just I've got a big trip coming up, and there's always something that winds up left in the trash bin at home while we're on vacation. Now I have a Lomi, and it's changed the way I think about my food waste. Lomi transforms my garbage into gold at the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps into dirt in under four hours. I love composting, plus it's made cooking at home even more fun. There's no food rotting in my garbage and smelling up the kitchen. Thanks to Lomi, I only have to take the trash out once a week, and it's a hassle-free, mess-free experience with no more leaking bags. I turn my waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants, lawn, or garden. That means it's not going into landfills and producing methane gas. All my food scraps, plant clippings, and even those leftovers I forgot in the back of the fridge go back into my garden, helping me grow more nutritious food right in my backyard. It feels great to know that I'm creating soil instead of waste. Whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com forward slash Waypoint and use the promo code Waypoint to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash Waypoint and use the promo code Waypoint at checkout. I don't know. Like, it's pretty obvious if you put a good mount next to a bad mount. Like, it's pretty glaring, even to an untrained eye, right? Like, to a trained taxidermist that competes and stuff, I mean, you can you can go and... And, um, like I could really pick apart a mount, right? But to an untrained eye, like something, like if it's gonna be something in your wall, it doesn't have to, like, get a show. If you're competing, they're like judges looking at it with the magnifying glass, right? They're yeah. looking at the smallest thing. But you should be able to be five feet back looking one on the wall and be like, man, that sucker looks like it's about ready to blink, right? Yeah. So, okay. I see. I like that. That's, that's one thing. Before I knew you or Nails, I got two different deer done from another guy. So and then I went to you. I think actually the second one, you might have been on a trip or something. And I was like, oh, my brother, go to my brother. Yeah. And we didn't end up adding up. But the next year or whatever, I ended up bringing a deer to you. And I got that back. And I honestly thought the last guy was decent, you know. Sure. And as soon as yours came into my house and I start looking at both of them, that's the one thing I caught was the eyes. Yeah. Every single one of the lashes on the one that you did, every lash was out. Everything was perfect and then yeah. i looked at the other one and every single last was like just they weren't laughing. even existent yeah they were folded up into the eye like they were crusty just things yeah. like <laughs> that like yeah. like you said i looked at it first off you know because that's the only guy i really knew that did taxidermis and i went to him not even question anything 
And then once I got good taxidermy done, I compared the two, and the eyes was the first thing I caught. Just yeah. every single lash that you did was just perfectly out, and his were just the whole thing was just crippled up into the eyeball. Yeah. Just but and look, the, you know, your average hunter, they don't necessarily study the anatomy of a deer and how everything should be aligned certain ways. You know, like a brisket should be aligned a certain way. You know, I see a lot of a lot of mounts where the armpit of the deer is kind of like pushed up around the outside of that you know how there's the little legs coming off the bottom of a lot of mounts yeah mm-hmm. you know a lot of people a lot of times i see like the armpits actually are out around that a little bit farther than they should be your average customer joe schmo hunter probably wouldn't know that but it makes my skin crawl when i see something I'm that's sure. not right like anatomically <laughs> has to be fixed in there yeah. right so there's subtle little things like that but you know some of those little hair patterns if they're off a little bit i think that can be okay um and sometimes depending on how butchered up a cape we get which we'll talk about um we have to do stuff like that. Like you have to cheat things certain ways to kind of hide some screw ups from before it got to you, kind of thing. Um, but what shouldn't ever really be really whacked out should be that facial stuff. You know, your eyes, your ears, your ear butt shape, your ear shape. Yeah, can we talk about the ear shape a little bit too? Yeah, because so I see a lot of taxidermy work where the ears stand out first to me. Yeah, they like when you see a picture, that's the first thing I look at. Yeah. You ever go, seen ones where they have like the ears pinned back? <laughs> like, well, either that or like they're way like out in front of the rack and everything and I just don't like it doesn't look natural. Yeah, yeah so you know? like you know ears are ears are a funny thing on deer. They can move in so many different areas and directions and be really wonky. So I, for the most part, I try to, you know, keep customers kind of like, hey, let's, let's stay within like the most common area that looks eye pleasing, you know, but, um, but you know, you really, the, the, the ears attached with an ear butt, right? So the ear butt, you actually sculpt in clay or epoxy, whatever, you know, different mediums that, that you can use. So that's kind of where it starts, right? Getting that muscle right. And it changes depending on where the ears forward, half back, all the way back, you know, up erect, you know, down in an aggressive position, that, that muscle change, those muscle changes, right? So you should, as a tax number, you should know, depending on what position that is, that ear butt should be sculpted a certain way. Um, and then, you know, you can do, like, when we mount a deer, we take, there's two ways you can mount the ears, right? You can either leave the cartilage inside of the ear. Because we have to turn the ears the whole way inside out, right? So you can either leave the cartilage in there and fill it with, a, like, a bondo um, and then shape the ear. And then that will harden and kind of hold it. Or the way I do them is you take the cartilage out and then you replace it with a, with a line, plastic ear liner. I just like the look of the ear liner better. I think I can get it thinner. I can think I better shape to it. But I know some people that do fantastic Bondo ears. So it's it's kind of a um, – but anyway, so you get that – you know, you want to get that shape right. And again there, even on that, on that, regardless of which of those two methods you use, there are certain hair patterns that need to be a certain way. They should lay a certain way. The hair should lay a certain way. And if it ain't right, like Joe was saying about the eyelashes, I mean, you can have this hair that's just funky looking, all, you know, sticking way out because – you know, when you mount a deer, you mount the skin's wet, and as it dries, it moves. Yeah. And that's why I see you have to let it dry for a couple of weeks. And it's kind of like, you know, the skin is like plumped up with moisture, and as it dries, it shrinks. Okay. And as it shrinks, it's going to, if you have anything like misplaced, it will accentuate it as it dries. Like, if you think it's a little bit off and it's still wet and you don't fix it, get it right. Get it right. Yeah, by the time it right. it's drying, it's going to, it's going to, you know, exponentially look worse. And then by the time it's dry, you're, you either have to rehydrate the whole thing and start, you know, start it over, or just live with it the way it is, you know. So, um, yeah, getting that ear shaped and positioned right can make. I'm not a big fan of ears forward. I try to talk people out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, very rarely do you see a deer with both ears forward unless they are on you. Right. Right. You're busted. Kind yeah. Of. And yeah. like to me, like when I look at a mount, 
you stay a shoulder mount on the wall, like, you know, subconsciously when you look at a mount, your eyes kind of start at the nose and then kind of work up the face and to the horns, right? You just, it's kind of the flow of it. And like, if your ears are forward, I kind of feel like it, it's an eye stopper a little bit. You see these two big white exactly. you know, radars <laughs> yep. yeah. signs sticking out here and it kind of stops your eye a little bit. You know, you see these two big white things. And also, I mean, a mature buck, you know, tip to tip, if their ears are forward, they can be anywhere from 16 to 18 inches, tip to tip. So it takes a pretty good whitetail to be outside of that a good ways. So right. it can almost take your, almost make your rack a little, look a little bit tighter too. You know what I mean? Not that we're trying to pin ears straight back to make it look bigger than it is, but let's face it, man. Like if you're mounting a deer, it's because you got a good set of horns on it for the yeah, most part, right? right? Typically. Now that being said, man, a doe mount makes a gorgeous mount. I've seen a couple of them. My buddy I, has one. Beautiful. They are. They are beautiful. Beautiful. And like I mounted my, I did. Now this is one thing, I'm, except, exception I made for my son. First deer he shot was a doe when he was seven, and I did mount that for him. I didn't mount the Jake, but I did mount his first deer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a doe mount is actually gorgeous. They are. It's, it's, I feel bad because like they're like, oh, you shouldn't charge as much for a doe mount as a buck, and I'm like, dude, like the only difference is I screw the horns on a buck, and I don't on. There's no <laughs> horns for a doe. I mean, it maybe takes 10, 15 minutes longer to mount a buck than it does a doe. Other than that, it's the same. It's exactly it's, the same. So it's the yeah. same price. But anyway. Um, so anyway, yes, yeah, so I don't like that ear for because it kind of takes away. It's just a, it's just an eye catcher. So I, I like them kind of more like almost a forty five degree back. But if the customers and they're paying me, and they say, "I want these ears. I want this pose, upright, looking straight, and ears forward." I cringe, but if that's what they want and they're paying me, that's how I mount it, right? <laughs> but I try to explain to them why. Yeah, mm, you yeah. know why why that's. It's a hundred dollars more to get your ears forward. Right. I need to do awesome. It's just five hundred more. It's just like a that pose is is to me a very static looking pose. Yeah. You know, and you know, you're trying to make something look alive. And so that's just a very static look to me. Like there's no movement whatsoever to that. So but if that's what they want, ultimately we we say, Okay. Yeah. That's it. like what I feel like that's what you see. Like you go to a bar in yes. Bradford yep. and it's like that <laughs> from the fifties. It's just like, pow. Oh man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's stained chocolate from smoke. And <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. That, that's that old, you know, just so yeah, awesome. Old, old mount, you know? So, <laughs> um, so yeah, those, those, that, that face and, and then Charles, you mentioned it already about the coyote, but, um, and then yeah, predator, easy, Rami. predator work too, you know, and the predator work, same thing. It's, it's the eyes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know the I, ones that actually look into your soul. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A good predator. A good predator mount's going to have good eyes and a good, and good, good grooming to its fur. Chucks so look at like three different you, things. I know. I know. I'll so, go there. So and every day, saying, it looks different. So when you're saying about Carl, you shouldn't look at your mount and go, "What you're looking at, goofy?" Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, but I'll tell you what, man. Like, here's the other thing. So bad. <laughs> Take it easy, right? So bad. Who's, why are we grilling me? This uh, I kidding. just want to make this known. This <laughs> podcast album art is going to be of your coyote. No, it is no, not. Please, no, it's no. Not. No. <laughs> I'll send you something to put on. I don't want any affiliation with that thing. For the record, yeah. I am going to shoot another coyote. We're going to take that one off, and and Jens is going to do the it's new. A great one idea. For Let's fill that on one full that. of tannerite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to make a nice yeah. little rug out of it, and then we'll you know we'll figure something yeah. out. But, uh, but I will say this too. I mean, um, as a taxidermist, the other thing that makes me cringe when I hear is, um, we'll talk about different settings. But oh, don't worry about it. The taxidermist can fix it. Okay. Mm. So this, I don't know if you guys want to jump into field care. Yes, and, that's a Let's do that. Let's, yeah, transition. absolutely. Because there's, there's a, in, which in hindsight, we should have did this before deer season, but hey, 
2023, there'll be a deer season, right? Yep. So, um, but this also goes even talking about there's a late season here, but then even mm-hmm. turkeys and everything. So, you know, as a taxidermist, there's only so much we can do, right? There's only so much magic we can work. And ultimately, the qu- the quality of your mount, whether it's a bird or a mammal or a fish, whatever, begins with as soon as you harvest it, right? How how do you take care of it? And, um, you know, we'll talk about, we can talk about different species, but, you know, deer, like if you shoot a deer, and I, I hate to have, you know, you're excited and everything's great and you might be two miles back in, you know, Allegheny National Forest. You're like, oh my goodness, I want to mount this deer. Like, what, how am I going to do this? But like, ultimately, if you want to mount this deer, there's certain things you need to do as far as first getting it out of the field. And then once you get it out, skinning and stuff. So, and we'll just kind of talk about all that if you guys want. Yeah, do it. Um, if it's a deer you for sure want to mount, two things. Don't put a rope around its neck. <laughs> Don't ever do that. Yeah. To drag it or hang it. Okay. Because you can permanently crimp, crimp, um, crimp the hair to where you can't flatten it back out. It'll have a permanent crimp in it. Um, you can't get it out. What if your deer runs into a fence? <laughs> yeah, that, it's yeah. still there. It's still there. Yeah. Um, Pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I mean that's character, right? Yeah, that's mm. awesome. Putting a rope around his neck and crimping his hair is stupid. Um, <laughs> so don't put a rope around his neck. And the other thing, if you can, now I know this is not always easy. Um, when you're dragging it out, don't let the shoulders on the ground. Get the shoulders up because what happens inevitably is, and I see it every year, is you're dragging this deer over trees that are laying down over rocks just over stuff and it's just wearing and breaking hair on their shoulders and i'll get them in and there'll be like bald patches on the shoulder or a bunch of broken hair and i'm like i know it's not easy to get that shoulder off the ground I mean, this is extra you know to hold that sucker up it, it makes it harder to drag mm-hmm. the closer it is to your body and you're trying to hold it up it's just harder to drag because you're um it's easier to have it back there about six feet and just dragging it right but if you can keep those shoulders off the ground um man it's just we cannot replace hair yeah. Can't. Yeah. Can't. So you're saying people like like most people should invest in a deer cart. Yes, hundred percent. Yes. Okay. Yep. Right, I do. Right. I mean yep. I, I Dude, I got one. It's I awesome. have one on wheels. I have um you know what I use is I bought um like I think they're called like an ice fishing. Like a jet sled. Yeah, like a jet sled. Yeah. Mm. So like I'll freaking take that thing hundreds and hundreds of yards out into the woods, put my deer in it and drag it out in that. And then if I'm at home on my farm, you know, then I'll get out to a field and then I put that on the back of the ranger and Drag it up to the house. You know what I mean? So it never is being pulled over logs. Now, I get it, man. If you're backpacking up into the, you know, Allegheny National Forest or something, you can't do that. But everything you can do to, I, I know, I'm trying to say perfect scenario here, but man, keep the shoulders off the ground. Don't put a rope around his neck. Um, that's number one. Okay. Um, number two is, <clears throat> depending on the temperature, it needs taken care of quick. Um, t- what happens is bacterial set in and, you know, You've heard of slippage, you know, yeah. fur slippage. If mm-hmm. you've done anything with predators or trapping, you know about fur slippage. Deer will slip too. And what happens is, you know, over time, if it's warm, bacteria eat the hair roots and then the hair just falls out. Yeah. So, man, if you know it's a deer you want to mount, you know, if you take it to a butcher, they'll, they're usually pretty good about it. They'll get it caped out and either get it frozen or in a cooler at least. Um, but I've had more people have them and they're like, oh, it's been on my back deck for a week. And I'm like, well, you know, it's been in the 70s the last week. And you take it out of the bag, and I'm like, Whoa. oh, it's gnarly. I'm like, God. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, let's talk about a replacement cape, right? So, if it's a deer you want to mount, you need to either get it to a taxidermist within a day or two, and if it's like 80, like day of, if not the day after, um, or freeze it. Um, even in the refrigerator, bacteria works, right? <clears throat> like, put a piece of chicken in the refrigerator after two weeks, you can eat it. Hell no, no, <laughs> right? And 
that's for deer. And deer are probably the hardiest as far as hair slipping. A predator, you look at them sideways. You're, you know, you look at them for two minutes and their hair starts falling out because they're, mm. you know, ultimately their their body's full of more bacteria because of what they eat, right? <clears throat> predator in their in their skin's a lot thinner, so it's just easier for them to, to have slippage. So like a predator, I'm like day of, maybe the day after, or freeze it, freeze it whole. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, cause they slip super, super easy, but so yeah, so you get the deer, you know, get it, you take it to a butcher and not all butchers are create, created equal. I, that's another for another day, but I wish taxidermists, we should go around to all the butchers and do a, a class on, like, I know like every butcher kind of has their own bags and boxes. That they come in and like when a hunter brings me a deer, I'm like from certain ones, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> you just know. Yeah. And then I was <laughs> like, God, thank God, you know, this, this would be a good one. Um, so then the other big question is like, do I keep it myself? Do I do what, you know, how do I do this? And that's even if you're in your own state or if you're out of state. So that's kind of two different scenarios. Um, what I tell people is if you're in your own state and you want to keep the deer out to butcher it yourself or whatever, it's a simple thing. Um, it's don't make more of it than what it is. People are scared to make a wrong cut, which is great. Right. Um, but if somebody were asking me, Hey, how do you want me to keep this deer? I'll kind of give you, I know this isn't a visual thing. This is an audio, but if I were to say, okay, hang it up by its back legs where the sternum starts, Make an incision around the entire body of the deer right there. Don't cut with a knife past the sternum. Okay, don't cut up into the brisket between the legs. So just go from that sternum and just cut a circle around the body. Okay, then take your front legs and, oh, I don't know, go up from the, the knee. Between the knee and the shoulder, go up maybe, I don't know, two, three, four inches. Halfway. Say halfway between the body and the knee. And then just cut that leg off clean. The whole way, bone and all, just zoom, gone. Okay? And then you just take that where you made that circle from the brisket area. Just take that deer like a sock from there and then just skin it the whole way down. This you cut those front legs out, you can pull those legs out like a sock. Yep. So you have no incision up the back of the leg and anything. Because mm-hmm. I'll get into why in that for a minute. But you just take that like a sock all the way up and take it down the neck and take it the whole way to the base of the skull. A good taxidermist needs zero neck meat. There was always this, I call it a wives' tale, but people are just like, oh, I left, I left all the neck in there so you know how big the neck is. Don't shrink my neck, right? That's the biggest thing I hear. You hear a lot with them. Oh, the taxidermist shrunk my neck. Two things, okay? A good taxidermist will never shrink a neck. Most times I can get a neck an inch or two inches bigger than what it was um, with a good tan and, and proper handling, right? And proper measuring and all that fun stuff. Um, so I, I hate neck meat. Like I'll have people bring me a deer and have like freaking 20 pounds of neck meat still on it. I mean, it's like almost they got to the shoulders and whacked the neck off and plop it there. The reason that's a challenge and whatever, I mean, I deal with it, but. Like, I make a very short, short incision on my deer. It's only like about two or three inches typically down the back of the head, back of the neck. And we can kind of go over this when we talk about caping for out of state. But, you know, I just make a short incision on there because I don't like sewing. And I also don't like having to worry about a seam showing. So when you have all that neck, like, you can't do that short, short incision because um, you get all that neck meat in there. So either then I got to somehow invert that. And it's so much easier when the whole body is hanging there to skin down that neck when you've got this big, 20 pound necros flopping around when you're trying to skin this thing on a table and you don't have somebody else there helping hold it up. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. So I'm like, just take it to the base of the skull and cut it off. Um, this and is then the tube method, right? Yeah. Just tube it. The whole tube way. it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's how I do all my deer. Right. And then, then you cut that off and then you bring that head and everything and either throw that in your freezer and freeze it or get that to the tax office that way. Should people put that in like a, like a garbage bag? Yeah, just throw it in a garbage okay. bag. Garbage bag. Yep. Okay. Now, ideally if it's cool out, I would let it cool before you put it in a bag. Um, so it's not in there like kind of festering warm and just like kind of let it lay out and cool a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or put it in the freezer and freeze it if you can't get it there and bring it some frozen. Um, now you can, 
you know, cut up the back leg. And if you're going to do that method, the biggest thing is like what I find one of the biggest mistakes is people make cuts into the armpit area. So if you're going to do it where you want to cut the back leg, you just go up that white line up the back of the leg. Then when you're going back to the body, you go straight back. So hard to describe this sometimes verbally instead of physically. But anyway, you go straight, straight back to your circle cut around the body. Don't angle towards the bottom, towards the brisket because you'll get into the armpit. And that's like really short hair and it's high to, hard, very hard to hide a seam in that area. And hacked up armpits are one of the biggest things I see that are a problem. Um, so that's why I think to me it's just easier to tube it. That way you don't have to worry about making the mistake on the cut. So just tube that sucker, cut it, cut its head off right at the base of the base of the skull, you know, top of the neck there, bottom, um, and bring bring it over. So um, sometimes out west they'll split them farther, the whole way down the back. Um, I'm not a fan of that, but I understand why. Sometimes you're inside of a mountain, it's just easier to just peel off one whole side, or like a big elk. Um, it's easier to it's hard to tube an elk. I've done mm-hmm. it. I mean, I've tubed some of my own elk on the side of a mountain. Um, pissed off the people that were waiting for me to do it because it takes longer and it's hard <laughs> on a big animal like that. But I just hate sewing. Big Bro, animals. I'm a taxidermist. Yeah, I Relax. Got this. I got this. <laughs> grab, a beer, grab a beer and sit and watch. Um, I'll show you a thing or two. Yeah. So um, that's that's my preferred thing for caping it. Now, for like, you know, predators, um, ideally, I would say for the most part, predators have your taxidermist skin them. Unless th- unless you talk to them and they're like, no, just skin it. And most times they're going to have you skin it. They'd tell you how they want it skinned. Because some people like to cut them up the back and skin them that way. Like a, we call that a dorsal incision. Other people like to cut them up the belly and then down the legs. And also depending on what species, they might do them differently, right? Um, sometimes bears, though, you just kind of got to get them skinned out. But like to me, like if I'm life-size mountain a bear, I'd rather cut them up the back. Makes okay. sense. Yeah, I like to sew up their back and I'll, I can put their paw, their legs in like a sock almost. Yep. So most of my life-size mammals, I prefer the dorsal, dorsal cut. Unless you're going to rug it, then you do the belly cut. Um, so um, what else? Birds. How, how about when they're cutting that the way they cut it? Because I know that can make a huge difference as cut? well. Uh, any cut that you're making on the skin. Yeah. Um, sharp knife. Okay. Um, for two reasons. Your own personal safety because you're going to cut yourself way more using a dull knife than a sharp knife. And also, when you cut anything with hair, cut from the skin up. Yes. Don't cut down. Um, that's another thing. Like, I'll get everyone's on, like, somebody, like, cuts the neck of a deer. I had to bleed it out, right? Like, first of all, the heart's not pumping. It hasn't been pumped for a long time. You're not bleeding anything out, okay? <laughs> Number one. But anyway, um, the problem when you cut th- down through hair is, like, hair on an animal is like shingles, right? There's multiple layers. And when you make that cut, you think you're just cutting that layer of hair? No, you're cutting about an hair that started an inch above and an inch below, right? Like you're cutting multiple layers of hair. So what we have to cut out to fix that is like a huge section, massive section, you know? So mm. it, it's just, if you want to quality mount, just try to take your time a little bit and do things the right way because we can only work so much magic, you know? That being said, do you prefer people to maybe try and go with the grain of the hair rather than against it so they're not really hammering 100%. on it? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of important to throw yep. in there. Yep. So, um, so yeah, that's how I do that now. You're traveling out of state with all the CWD stuff now, right? Like you can't bring brain matter, brain matter and spinal cord stuff. Two ways I handle that. Either I've taught people how to cape out the face, um, which is simple. And I, I really should do a f- few of these and put them on, you know, Facebook or something to have on my page. I really should do that. Um, it's just to make sure that you get like a certain amount of lip. We need a certain amount of lip material, you know, inside of the lips. You need a certain little bit about it certain amount of eyelid material and then that tear duct in front of the eye that's the hardest part that people hack up you know um 
But I should do a do a, a video on that. But anyway, if you're if you're hunting out of state, what I recommend is again, this goes back to having a taxidermist before you go hunting. Um, talk to them. Say, hey, look, I'm going out west. What do you want me to do? Right. And so I do it multiple ways. I have some guys that go out. They cape all their own stuff. I've either showed them or they've learned themselves, whatever. Um, and they cape them and bring them back to me. Or like I'm networked around the whole country. And I'm like, oh, you're going to be where? Okay, you're going to be this part of Colorado. Okay, let me call somebody I know that's close to there. I'll call that taxidermist and I'll, and I'll tell my guy, hey, you kill something? You take him to this guy? He'll he'll cape it out. He'll charge you whatever, 25 50 bucks, 75 bucks, whatever. He'll cape it out for you make everything legal to bring bring back home and bring it to me. And then you do it that way, you know? So, um, again, that all just goes in just communicating, right? Like, mm-hmm. and having a plan, like just having a plan before you go. Like, look, if you're investing thousands of dollars going out West on a hunt and you're probably going out there wanting to kill something you want to maybe bring home and mount. Like, I would think, think a little bit about that too. You know, don't, don't just think about what gear you're packing and your food right. and how you're going to get there and stuff. Like think about, Oh man, what if, if I am successful, I want to mount this. Like then what? Like, right. So preparation, you know, um, so I'd say that, and then like birds, for the most part, um, again, get them to your tax terms quick or freeze them. Try not to get a ton of blood on them. You know, like I always tell people with turkey, like put a Ziploc bag over its head and zip tie it or something because that's where all the blood is. You don't want that flopping everywhere. I mean, we wash them and stuff, but um, you know, the smaller birds, like either waterfowl or, or upland birds, I always say take a wet paper towels, wrap it around its, its head, you know, beaks, head and legs, wet paper towels, and then put it in a Ziploc bag, get all the air out of it, freeze it tuck its head back under its wing or over its back. Because um, you don't want a, like a bird frozen straight long in a freezer and that long neck sticking out because you know you could drop it or bump it on something. You could actually literally just break oh, that off. Oh, so yeah. Tuck, tuck that head in to protect it a little bit. You know, <clears throat> Don't put it in pantyhose. That was a, another big wives tale. <laughs> I've heard of that a thousand times with peasants <laughs> sticking them in pantyhose. Don't do it because guess what happens? <laughs> it can actually put an imprint of that pantyhose, like that grid or whatever you want to call it, on the feathers that you can't get out. Oh, no. So, Panty hoses is a no no. <laughs> you learn something new every day. I'll just, tell you just what. Get them in a, in a plastic bag as airtight as possible. Wrap the legs and the feet and the, the legs and feet and, and the bill with a wet paper towel. You know, tuck that head in and freeze it. Just try to get as much air as you can out of it. Freezer, what happens is freezer burn can happen, right? Mm. So um, that moist, the moist paper towels help with freezer burn and then having as much air out as possible helps with the freezer burn. Vacuum so. seal that some bitch, right? Well, you gotta be careful there. You don't want to compress them too hard. But yeah, for the most part, you can, as long as you don't put them in there like all out of whack. Right. You know? So, but I'm telling you, like taxidermy can only be as good as what the field carries. Yeah, yeah. Know? So that that is so important. Like, so say for example, antelope, right? Like I love hunting antelope. Love hunting antelope. Um, antelope have hollow hair. Like all mammals have hollow. Like deer have hollow hair. But the interesting thing with, with antelope is. Their hair is hollow like the straw here Charles has. Mm-hmm. The end of their the end of their hair is open like a straw. Wow, I didn't know that. So what happens with them is if you get blood on that through osmosis, it'll actually draw that blood up inside of that hair, then it's permanent. Can't get it out. Hmm. So like I always tell them if I have any customers. No wonder they're so fast. Right? All their hair is hollow. It's all hollow. It just goes right through it. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah and here's the other thing with antelope. They slip so fast. Oh, man. Like so fast. And here's the other thing. Like antelope, you're usually hunting out. When you hunt antelope, it's usually in August or September. Yeah, it's yeah. And it's – if you've ever been out west, it's always sunny. Okay. Mm-hmm. We don't – it's like always sunny. And it's warm. And what happens is you got two guys out there, two buddies out there hunting antelope together. And like one shoots one in the morning. You throw it in the back of the truck and you drive around the rest of the day for your buddy to get one. And you are cooking it in the back. That's gnarly. The meat, everything. Everything. Yep. And they're very, very thin-skinned. Like when you skin an antelope, you can see the hair roots on the back of their hair. Like they are very thin-skinned. Mm. So like when I go antelope hunting, if we shoot a buck, 
I skin it, quarter it, cape it right then and there, and it, that one's on ice before Get we do cool. anything else. Yeah. Get it cool, both for the meat and your cape. Get it cool, quick, out of the sun, taken care of. Um, but, yeah, their hair, like, it's, that's a unique situation, right? Like I tell somebody, like, if you shoot one, and always have paper towels and maybe some baby wipes or whatever on you. And if you shoot an antelope, get as much blood as you can off it as quick as possible. Because if not, it'll it'll permanently stain the hair. So, again. Great tip. Plan, right? Like, yeah, plan, for sure. Plan before you do something. Jeez. So, yeah, and I mean, I mean, I know I reached out to you about the turkey and stuff yeah. before we went to Oklahoma. And you sent me this beautiful little pa- pamphlet, basically, of what to do and some instructions and yep. whatnot. And, Fortunately, we didn't get any birds that we wanted to mount, but we did kill some birds and brought Yeah, but at least you were prepared if you did, right? Right, it's yeah, not, we were ready. It's not like you kill something, then there's an oh shit moment, like, oh, what do we do now kind of yeah. thing, right? Like, right, yeah. Um, you always got to plan, you know, especially especially if you're out of state. Mm-hmm. I guess one thing, not being planned in your hunting in your backyard, right? You can kind of work your way through that. But if you're sure. out of state, like, take the time to plan. Yeah, makes sense. I would also, say that's my, that's my lecture too. for the day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This, dude, this has been... This is what it, we waited three years for, right? Super. Yeah, that's like going after the hunting season's over. <laughs> you know what, though? That's like okay. you said, there's 2023 coming. That's right. And there's yeah. still late season, man. There is. I, I feel like you need to specifically go out in this late season and shoot a doe or a buck or whatever. He already shot I a can't. buck. Yeah, yeah, shoot yeah, a buck. You, yeah. Well, you know. You, you know what, I, what <laughs> yeah. I'm getting at, basically, yeah. is you need to make a video series. I do. Yeah. I think that would just be awesome. Yeah, you know? I should. I mean, I should. I said that for a long time i should have done that a long time ago and especially because then i get get ones in i'm like man i just if i had a video maybe i could have shown them hey go look and this is how you should just send people links yes. all the time mm-hmm. just this, this, yeah. This. yeah and, it, <laughs> and even if it's not even if they're not bringing it to me i mean you know what i mean like um like i've i've skinned some, some stuff out that people have taken other taxidermists but you know even then i'm like i skin it out as if i was mounting you know i try to mm-hmm. be careful with things and, but yeah so that i do need to do that austin like yeah i need it. what i need to do is like the whole thing, not just the head, like not just the face. Yeah. Like I need to do it from it hanging in the Absolutely. Garage. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, when, when uh, I shoot a tank in the late season, I'll, I'll yeah, bring it to it. you. We'll just do a video. We'll bring Back the camera in the truck over. and we'll do it. <laughs> there you go. I like that. I, I do think that the uh, the head part of it would be pretty important. Especially I think for it is. Yeah. Yeah, stuff. Especially, um, you know, the hair's short there on the face. You know what I mean? There's a lot of like undercuts and the way the tear ducts work. And, you know, they, and first of all, any, any, you know, good tax numbers here are going to be, they're not a tear duct, but there's, they're different, called a different gland, but most people know them as a tear duct, but you know, they, they undercut really hard. And if you, you have to skin them from a certain direction or you'll cut right through them and then there'll be this big hole in the front of the eye. You can kind of somewhat, somewhat fix depending on things, but sometimes not either, you know? So yeah. there, I mean, there are some intricacies to it, but it's not, it's nothing that I think with a little bit of, and here's the other thing I've tell people, like, if you know you're going out West and you want to, like you were saying, Austin, like even yourself, like shoot a doe and skin the face out. You know what I mean? Like, kind of get a feel for get how a it feel is. for yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so oh, fun man, stuff. That's great, great that stuff advice. scares the shit out of me. Yeah, which is like good. The face, yeah. That I mean, scares the shit out of me. Because I'd rather that than have somebody some just whacking and hacking. <laughs> right, right. I get uh, yeah. Dude, I've skinned so many muskrats. I feel like I could do the face in like a second. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I just. It, I love my, trapping. My son from loves trapping muskrats. So awesome, man. Yeah, hmm. he loved. He's got. I don't know how many muskrats I. I'm like, man, you're getting expensive. I have every muskrat you trap, I got a tan for you. You got like a bunch of them hanging. In his... But the one nice thing about muskrats is, man, you can skin them suckers in about two minutes. Yeah. It's like so You get into so a fast. groove. Oh, yeah. man. I love it. That's the best. Well, I'll I'll just apologize now for some of the mistakes that I made on the latest deer I gave to you. Um, <laughs> we had a buddy helping us, and he did the method a little different. You know, usually right. Joe helps me, and we 
sock it out and do all the right stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever yeah, got a bad Joe, one from you, Joe. No, <laughs> Joe does a great job. I mean, he takes like six I hours. Yeah, other yeah. than that one, but you know, he does really does do a really good job. And uh, you know, we we had our other buddy helping us, and there was it was a long night. There might have been some beverages flowing, <laughs> and there was a bunch of deer hung in the garage. And yeah, now I, I gotta ask though, what about if you hang them from the head by the antlers? Yep. Is that smart or not? Does that it actually matter. stretch the neck? Like no, I've so, heard oh, people I say get, about stretching the neck. About. Yeah, that doesn't. So, you know, the way skin works is, you know, it's a hormonal thing, right? So you, if you look at a big buck, even like a five, six-year-old buck in late summer, they, their necks look practically like a doe. I mean, mm-hmm. they're bigger structurally, but they're skinny neck, right? But then as they get into the fall, hormones start ramping up, right? Their skin... It thickens and it lets lets out, and that's how they get that rut swell, right? So they grow up this big neck, and then that deer by sometimes, depending on how how the rut went and how hunting season went, by December or if not, worst case scenario by January, they're little necked again. Now there's still some memory in that neck sometimes, like I can, you can get a late season deer sometimes and stretch them back out and get to what their rut size was, but sometimes yeah. you can't. So is you know is it's not to get uber scientific here, but there's just chemical reactions going on that allow that skin to stretch and not stretch. So depending on when they're killed, you can stretch them better than others, right? And the other thing you can't do is if you overstretch a neck, it'll whack out the hair patterns. Like the hair hair won't lay right, right? So, but the biggest thing I see is we're talking about neck size. Don't shrink my neck, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think of this, you know, most people when they take a picture of their deer is the deer's laying on the ground. You grab the head and you kind of roll the head up and you're holding the head and you take a picture, Okay. What's happening there is you can think of a deer's neck as almost any, I mean, a human will be the same way, but any animal, when they're dead and they're flaccid, right, just kind of laying there, their neck will almost be like an accordion, like almost accordion, right? So, like, it's kind of like if you, like, kind of shrug up your shoulders and, like, kind of tuck your head down, you can kind of, like, bulk up your neck, right? Like, kind of make it bigger than what it normally is and when, when your normal posture. And, like, when you just pull that head up, that neck is just in all the blood's out of that meat, and it just kind of like stacks there. And it makes their neck look like it's flipping 35 inches round. <laughs> There's no deer. I mean, yeah. look, I raised deer. I know what an, a big body neck, big neck deer is. Um, and people be like, yeah, look at this neck. It's, you know, 30-some 30, 30 inches around. I'm like, well, two <laughs> things. I'm one, you're measuring over the hair, which no taxidermist bodies to know. But typically we do meat size, like the inside of the skin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that those pictures are deceiving when you just roll that head up. You got this neck kind of all stacked and accordion there, and it makes them look like the neck's as big as the chest, and typically sure. it's not. Yeah. You know, so, um, but that's where I sometimes I see, like, oh, the taxidermist shrunk my. Now, with that being said, I have seen some deer that, like, the neck's nowhere near what it should be, but a good taxidermist, that should be, that shouldn't be, we're talking about a list of questions to ask a good taxidermist. It shouldn't be like, are you going to shrink my neck? If they're a good taxidermist, <laughs> that will not happen. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, a lot of times it'll be as big or bigger, you know, than what the, than what it, was in real life. Yeah. So, but talking about the horns, you, you, it doesn't, you know, like it okay. doesn't, it will stretch the neck a little bit, but not to where it, it does damage to the skin where it's irreversible. Gotcha. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. That's one plus for me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> just, don't, just don't hang a late season buck by his horns because he might be on the ground. Yeah, I, I thought about Having, that. Yeah. For, I've, I've I had one come it. this year from gun season that both horns popped. When he went oh, grab it to drag it out, it Popped them both off, so I got to reattach them for him. And go, wow. But he had had, if I remember right, that deer maybe had an archery wound. or There was something that had Makes him sense. run down. You know what yeah. I mean? So he was going to shed early. Correct. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard from you either. Did you ever uh, run into any issue with the big 
pus ball on the side think, of my deer's no, face. No, I don't think I don't think you'll hardly notice that in the mouse. But it was awesome. it had a pretty good. It actually even went up behind the antler. There was really, a lot of, yeah, that stuff. Some it looks almost like silly, silly putty or whatever. The hell yeah. yeah, yeah, that green slime stuff. You know, that's oh, what, that's what that stuff looks like. It's like the biggest Ugh. loogie looking. Like you, if you get it on your hand, you can hardly flick it off. Oh, it's uh, pretty gnarly, nasty. Man. It's nasty stuff. Dude. But it wasn't one of those. <laughs> Sometimes we get them where it's your, is your butcher in the head. You know, you hit one of those pockets, you don't realize, and it's a pressure pride, and it's just like a, like kind of one of those. Oh. And it's like Pink I got a strong grenade. stomach, pretty strong stomach. I like to think, but man, sometimes you get some that are just. Raunchy. There's been a few, huh? Yeah, yeah. But yours. I was able to pretty much get it out without having anything. Yeah. No gag reflexes kicking. Good, good. <laughs> good so. to know. Oh man, I'm assuming when you do this, you're wearing like an apron and I, all that. Sometimes stuff. I wear an apron. I always wear gloves. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm one of those guys too. Like I carry gloves. I got my deer and stuff. I'm a I'm a glove guy. Yeah, um, for sure. Again, it was kind of one of those things like. You know, early on, like, oh, I got to, they can't wear gloves. You're not a man if you don't have blood on your fingernails and all of your hands. And then you get older. I'm like, you know what? You know what's kind of cool? I can gut my deer and then I can grab a sandwich out of my bag and not have blood and smelly shit all over my hands and eat my sandwich. Yeah. Or I can get back to my truck, get in my truck and not have blood all over steering wheels and everywhere else. I'm like, I wear, you know, I, I, bought, a bo- I bought a box of vet gloves mm-hmm. um, that go up to your shoulders. And then I have, you know, you know, medical gloves, whatever you want to call them, for your hands. So I put the ones up to my shoulders, gloves on my hands. Got my deer, take those off, and I am clean, clean as a whistle. Clean, clean See, as a whistle. It's just like I'm like I don't have to find a creek to wash my hands. Yeah, and I'm like, and like out west, like I'll do that, and then like, you know, you might be out for a few more days, and like you just you just clean. Like there's, I'm not afraid to get dirty, but it's just pretty convenient to not be like <laughs> filthy bloody. Definitely. You know, I mean, I get enough. I, I play with enough blood and guts that it's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm confident in my manhood, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Now, so. now with my buck, do you know what might have caused that giant? Yeah, a lot of times, a lot of times, build up. They'll get um an injury from fighting, you know, like a, a wound, a puncture yeah. wound or something like that from another from another buck, and then it'll just fester into an infection. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's why you find a lot of them in the bucks. You'll find a lot of them, you know, in the forehead, down, you know, back behind the antlers, and then down around the ears into the cheek, like that Hawaii area. That's that's where you find most of those, you know, big pussy mm-hmm. things because it's a fighting. You typically it's a fighting. It's a fighting. Yeah. Thing. And, um, it's so funny that you actually brought up that, like, that pocket that was on your deer because mm-hmm. someone was talking to me the other day and they were like, What was wrong with Chuck's bucket? It looks like his eye is swollen yeah. shut. And I was like, He yeah, had like a freaking like, yeah. thing him on a, him. Someone gave him a left hook, I think. Yeah. yeah. No, every year we, I get, you know, piles of deer. Like, like you'll hardly ever get one of those, like, that have that issue, like, early to mid October. Yeah. Right. They haven't been fighting yet, right? Um, so you usually start seeing that as you start getting into the end of October and, and through November and then into gun season, you'll see that. But it's usually from a from a fight. You Makes know, sense. Get a puncture wound and some little spike probably blindsided right? his ass. You know. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Hit him once and ran. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Those spikes could do some damage, man. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. We got one buck on camera right now. I'll tell you what, that deer's probably blinding every deer in the county with this. Giant big brows or something, brow things looking. Oh man, yeah, pretty mutant. mutant yeah, the old pitchfork, dude. I think right. that could just freaking he's probably so just cool. killing deer all over the place. It's <laughs> so cool, laying them out. Yeah, man, pokes that prong in there and then turns it sideways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good. Oh man, so I think we, I mean, pretty much covered the taxidermy side of things. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you have anything else you really want to so. touch on? No, I think, I think we. I think, you know, for the first one of these anyway, I think we kind of hit most of the bases on yeah. that one. So Definitely. Um, I'm not letting well, you go quite yet, though. No, no, no. I, I definitely oh, you mean wanna... from 
not taxing movie. We're getting well, closer yeah. on time, but like really? we can, we can go as long as we want. We can go as long as we want. I own this bitch. We can do That's whatever right. we want. <laughs> it's great but being like, your own boss. I don't want to just like let you go. I need I need some stories real yeah. quick before we do anything like that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's, That's a really cool. We, we got to talk some hunting stuff. You yeah. killed a lot of shit this year. We, yes. we definitely need say, to get yeah, like, like a year This year's recap. almost been a – just the whole podcast in this year had a, had a really good year and – um but yeah, I mean, uh, there's some other like when we first started talking about this, we, the big the big thing was going to be the ibex hunt, you know? Yeah. Like my gosh, that's been already a couple years ago. So, um, <laughs> which that was an awesome that that's a good story. I, you know, one of these days if we don't have time tonight to get on that story, but oh, we did some time. stuff on that hunt that was just you know awesome. But no, this year's been fantastic. You know, it's um, you know what's awesome right now for me is not only my hunting, but my son's you know coming of age and. I think, like I said, I think he shot his first doe when he was seven, and he just turned 12 this year in September. So, um, so yeah, you know, coming into this year, like like I said, I always usually have a hunt planned somewhere out west. And so I had a lease in the eastern plains of Colorado that me and a buddy were going to go out and hunt this lease for mule deer was our was a kind of our, our target. And um, <clears throat> I, uh, well, first of all, in the spring, I guess my son saw his first turkey, right? Shut that, shut that, Jake. So that was, that was a good start. And then, um, yeah. but as I was planning for this fall, I'm like, you know what, I need to get, you know, I get this mule deer hunt, and then so this this property that I had this lease on um, in the Eastern Plains, of Colorado, find come to find out that they had a bunch of antelope vouchers. Okay, and I don't know wh- you know how much you guys know about the West, but you know, for those who are listening that don't know, you know, you most Western tags you got to draw them. Right, right. right. <clears throat> well, some states, most states have some other programs that you can acquire tags, and whether it's a landowner voucher or there's other ways you can get them. In some some states, you can have landowner vouchers, but you can't transfer them. Some you can. Some are like. Um, property specific, some are unit wide. There's just all these, right? So look into your eggs, right? Like, um, anyway, the, the landowners are like, hey, you know, we've got a bunch of antelope vouchers that we were maybe going to cash in this year. And they're like, would you happen to know anybody that might be interested? I'm like, give me a second. Um, yeah, how about me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might be interested in those. So I, I kind of thought, you know, kind of a, two things. I'm like, number one, my son will be 12. Like, I'm Literally turned 12 a month before. And because of his age, I don't really have any points built up for him yet. I've started to build some points for him, but Colorado, I didn't have any points for him. And I'm like, you know, he's still young enough. I mean, he's, he's big into sports, but he's still young enough we can get away, right? And the way the timing was, it was right. He was going to miss his last fall ball baseball. And I'm like, big deal. And it was before yeah. basketball and soccer started and stuff. So I'm like, it kind of fits the schedule. Um, and um, I thought this could work great, you know, so – and I asked how many, and they're like, we, can, we got six vouchers we can cash in. I'm like, sweet. So I got six vouchers, and I'm like, I'm going to take me, my my son, and my dad. And then I got my one of my son's best friends, his dad, and his dad. So we had three generations, two families. That's I'm like, so this is going to cool, be awesome. Man. And, then, and then I'm like, secretly in the back of my mind, I'm like, selfishly, I'm like, the other thing this is going to do is I've never been on this lease. It's 60,000 acres. And I'm like, I'm going out here to Mule Deer in November. I'm like, this will get me get, – I mean, I've been studying on X and talking to people, you know. But I'm like getting out there and laying eyes on it and getting the lay of the land. That'll Invaluable. put me. Yeah, yeah, I'll be a leg ahead come deer season, right? So then the big dilemma was, okay, I got to talk to my wife about two trips in the fall. <laughs> but the card in my back pocket was the fact that I'm taking our mm-hmm. son. Oh, yeah. I made sure to not say I'm taking my son. I'm our <laughs> son. So, you know. You got to have a plan, right? Yes, yes. And wording's everything. <laughs> I talked about being prepared before you go on a hunt. You That's know, you right. Be prepared Should I be taking notes right now? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So I told my wife, I'm like, hey, look, I got this opportunity. You know, I can take, I'm going to be able to take Jen's out, you know, 
literally a month after he's legal to hunt in the state and to hunt, what I think is probably the best, hands down the best way to indoctrinate a kid to the West is an antelope hunt without question. I mean, I will, without question, that would, if somebody were to ask me, like I said, I hunt out West a lot. Somebody would ask me, what's the best way to indoctrinate a young kid? Maybe not necessarily adult, but he, I even think for adult personally, but a young kid for sure, it's antelope. And here's why. Typically speaking, younger kids, they can't, they can't, they don't have the mental fortitude to really go on a really rough, mm-hmm. hard hunt. Um, or even maybe potentially physically, depending on what kind of hunt you're doing, right? And then also the quantity of the game and the activity of the game, okay? So like elk and mule deer, for the most part, are morning, e- evening, right? Now, if you're hitting them in a big rut time, you might get all day activity, but most times morning and evening, right? Um, antelope, they're out all flipping day. Mm. Like they are, they never go like into cover. Like yeah. they are out literally all day. And they're everywhere. And they're everywhere. And if they're you're everywhere. in a good area, like literally you have a group, you put a stock on them. If you screw it up or you shoot and miss, it's like, yeah, you know what? That sucks, but let's get in the truck. We'll drive another half a mile and there'll be another group and we're going to do it again. And you just, it's like, and then the second side of that is realistically, I mean, if you're only going with a couple guys, like it's an extended weekend. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not going for six, seven, eight, nine, ten days. It's literally an extended weekend. Like, legit. Like, if you're in a good area and you have two guys, unless you're trying to get like an 80-inch goat, like, two hunting days and you're, probably one hunting day, you're done. But two hunting days, that's it. So literally, fly in on a Friday, hunt Saturday, Sunday, fly home Monday or Sunday night for that matter, right? Like, um, and secondly, this is my favorite game to eat. Mm, I yeah, love it. I'm that. a big fan. I actually really brought Antelope to the Killing Grill this sure, year. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was phenomenal. Yeah. So, yeah, so we got this. Now, I've never been to this part of Colorado to hunt Antelope. I've hunted Antelope in Colorado, but never here. So, anyway, so I'm like, you know, had this, all, all these plans and it worked out. And my wife's like, yeah, of course, you know, you can take them. And, and again, it wasn't a very long trip. I think we flew in, like, they went to school on Wednesday. And it also, the season, this was just shit luck. The season um, overlapped with, they had a weekend. And I didn't know this prior to, this just happened to be the way it worked. So we were going to hunt, we were going to fly in Wednesday night, like I was going to work, kids were going to go to school, and literally as soon as work was over, we were flying to the airport, getting on a plane, flying out, we'll be there Wednesday night, and then we were going to hunt Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, fly home Monday, so four days hunting. So it turned out, Thursday they had, you know, would have had school, but they missed. Friday was a half a day, and that Monday was an in-service day, so they didn't even have school. So my son literally missed one and a half days of school. Yeah. So yes. it was perfect. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what we did, you know, we went out there, and so... Because I've hunted a lot of antelope. And um, I had this whole thing envisioned in my mind how this is all going to go, how many were going to kill each day. You know, I had the best laid plans. So we get out there, and um, I have never seen spookier antelope in my entire life. Like, I was dumbfounded. So the first day, you know, we get out there and we see, we saw this this one group. They were, they were, we could have killed one, right? But it was it was an okay goat. I mean, I, I probably would have put him in the mid to upper sixties. Okay, just a, a respectable goat. But I'm like, first morning, the first day, I'm like, yeah, let's just, you know, we hadn't even hardly got to the heart of the property. You know, I'm like, let's right. just keep going. Well, in hindsight, <laughs> we should have that should have been a dead one. Um, so anyway, the rest of the day, like we were spotting goats, and you know, you spot and stock, right? Pretty much anything you do out west is spot and stock and good glass. And you know, I've you know over the years I've acquired. We talk about you know good clothing over the years. I've look. I'm not a big into brand name stuff. Like that's not why I buy good gear. Like if you do a lot of hunting out West, good gear, I don't care what the hell color 
camo it is or what manufacturer it is, if it's a high-end gear, it is worth its weight in gold. If you mm-hmm. get, you know, stuck in shit weather, like your blue jeans and cotton sweatshirt, I don't care. I know you can kill stuff in that, but if you're going to be on any type of, and if you spend a lot of money going on a hunt like this, don't don't let your gear stop you from being successful, right? Yeah. Anyway, that's another little soapbox, but um, so I got good glasses stuff, and I've never seen it. like Austin, you've you've seen antelope, right? Like you've I've been, been out, out west a bunch of times. Yeah, I yeah. thought so. Yeah, tons it's like of times. typically like antelope, you can drive up and you can usually get within a couple hundred yards of them, and glass them out of the truck, and if you want to kill one, then you get out of the truck and make a little stock and shoot them. Never seen them unless they're like close, close to. They just take off when the truck stops and you put the spotting scope on the window. No lie. Like we started finding some groups of antelope and we would stop. We would be 900, 800, 900,000 yards away, stop the vehicle. I'd slap a spotting scope on the window. I'd no more would get it on them and they were gone. Gone. And I'm talking not like they weren't 50 yards. I'm talking 1,000 yards away and they were gone. So I'm like, shit. <laughs> this is bad, And man. like we're out in Podunk, Eastern Plains of Colorado. No other hunters out here. We're on 6,008 acre private ranch. No other hunters previous hunting antelope here, right? Like just this should have been like. So anyway, so that whole first day, that was what happened. Didn't put a goat in the scope. I'm spotting, or gun scope. I had plenty of spotting scopes. So after the first day, I'm like, okay, this is not going to go how I thought this was going to go. Like, like I got two 12-year-olds, two grandpas, and then, you know, like I thought we were going to be just shooting basically off the window of the truck practically, you know, which is what you could do a lot of time. Well, not legally, but you don't know the point. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like day one's gone, and I'm like... Okay, so now we got six animals to kill in three days. And I thought it was going to happen four. So day two, same thing. We start finding stuff, but we're starting to learn the lane a little bit, you know. And we're finding finding antelope, and but we just cannot. Like you see a group, and like okay, get them in a spotting scope. Look at them. Like yep, there's a buck in there. Let's you know. And my standards are starting to come down a little bit too, right? The standards for the kids were, if it's a buck, we're killing it. Right. So anyway, but man, we like even try to get out of the truck and gone. And I'm talking like again, not close. So all of day two, nothing. And now, like, I organized all this, right? So, like, I am feeling massive pressure, like massive pressure. I'm like, I, I'm just like. It's going to be awesome, guys. Yeah, right? <laughs> I got it all set up. It's laid out. It's a slam dunk. So day three comes. And um, by then, though, it's dry out there in Eastern Plains, right? And this is a big cattle ranch. There's some ag in cattle ranch. And we started to started to figure out like, hey, look, there's certain there's some watering tanks. Like we're like we got to just start getting out of the truck, maybe sit and see if we can catch some moving around or coming to water because they were still that's kind of the tail end of the rut in October for antelope, but they were still some rut activity. Like so, like they got to be going to water because it was hot and that, and they're running around. So like so I my you know my buddy and his son and grandpa I'm like we're gonna put you guys up by these these one water tanks, get some vantage points and see if you can't you know, get something there or get your eyes, get closer to something like my dad and my son and I, like, we'll stay in the truck and go check another part of the ranch. So we do that. And, um, so it was around noon on day three and we come up this one, two track road and I see an antelope and it was a buck. It was a little, it wasn't a big buck, but it was a buck. And so we jump out of the truck. My dad and son and I were there and like, I'm like, okay, I range him. I'm like, he's like 400 and it's about 480 some yards. I'm like, Jen's that, you know, it's too far for my son. And I'm like, but I'm like, we've got to kill something. Like we need an icebreaker here, you know? So I'm like to my dad, I'm like, dad, you know, do you think you can, you can make that shot? And he's like, ah, Jens, I don't know. That's, you know, haven't really practiced that far. He goes, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable. And I'm like, it's a poke. It's a good poke. Yeah. I mean, an animal's not a big animal. They look bigger yeah, than they are because of their hair. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they probably, I mean, a good buck probably weighs 120 pounds, yeah. you know, maybe 130 pounds. They're not big. 
And um, he's like, I just, I'm not sure. And I'm like, I'm like, damn it. I'm like, I did not want to even put my finger on the trigger until my son and my dad had killed something, right? Right, right. But I'm like, something needs to die. And this buck is the first one we've been within 500 yards of that wasn't gone. And I'm like, are you sure, Dad? You don't want to? And he's like, no. And I'm like, well, then I'm going to kill him. Like, well, at least I'm going to shoot, right? So he's like, okay, I have no problem with that. I'm like, all right. So get my gun, get my shooting sticks. And I, we were right by a fence. So I was able to put my front of my gun on a fence. Then I had my shooting sticks on the back. You know, so I had two points of contact. And it was awesome. My dad was right there and he had a range finder. And I'm like, just, just hit him in the range. And he hit him. And the last time he hit him, it was 508. So I dialed my gun and I just dropped him, you know, one shot. And he just piled up. I'm like, oh, thank you. know, somebody killed something. So go up there, you know, I butchered the whole thing, put it down, got him in a cooler. You know, let the other guys know we killed one. I'm like, we're going to go check another part of the ranch. And they're like, oh, we've been seeing stuff. Nothing's quite gotten range, but they're like, we think something might happen here. I'm like, awesome. So we go driving around a little bit more. And um, I can't remember what time. It was getting dark. Seven, seven-ish, 7.30, something like that. So anyway, it's getting to be like 5 o'clock and um, 5.30, maybe something like that. Anyway, they're like, we thought we heard a gunshot. And here, my, my buddy's, my son's buddy. He shot one. They got one coming in the water, and he shot one. I'm like, that's freaking awesome. We'll start working your way. We start going down towards them because they've never, like, broken down game in the field. They're like, we can gut it. I'm like, technically, you don't need to gut it because I'm going to do it gutless. Yep. You know, I just break it down gutless method. But I'm like, if you feel better gutting it out just to get it cool, that's fine. I said, but we'll, we'll come get you. We're like three or four miles. So as we're going down, didn't we come on a single buck antelope, Okay. And he looked like he was just walking, cruising, like a, a buck, whitetail buck would be out cruising for a doe. Just kind of that slow but deliberate walk, just like – he wasn't a big, big goat, but he was, you know, it was my son. I'm like, it's like hell yeah, I'll shoot him. We didn't say hell, but – so anyway. Um, but did he? No, no. <laughs> but I, I, I do have a swear word that we're going to use later to kind of <laughs> – it, it, it'll come full circle. So – but then I look farther. I had the spotting scope, but I'm looking down. Well, my binoculars looking down the road, and I seen a big group with a good buck in it with some bunch of does, like seven or eight does. And that buck was walking towards them. So, like, this just might be perfect. So, we kind of drove down the truck and got down there. And what happened was, is that when that smaller buck got close to that group, that bigger buck's like, uh, No, you don't. So, the does all got up and spooked, and they went kind of across this, this two track road. Um, but then that big buck took off the opposite direction chasing that small buck and i'm like to my son it's game time like this we have an opportunity because what's going to happen is he's going to run this buck off and then he's going to come back to these does so we did that we intercepted him and we, i ranged him as 100 like 175 yards and um he's just 243 <clears throat> and um so i'm watching my i'm like shoot him whenever you can so boom he shoots and i seen him hit it like in the low front shoulder and then he kind of moved and and I'm like, all right, Jen, shoot him again. Well, he worked his action and didn't the damn thing jam. Oh. So then he's fumbling, trying to get this thing on jam. Then I'm like, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. You know, and I'm like sitting back there. And then and then that buck, he ran up over the horizon. Not far, but just over the horizon. I'm like, no big deal. Yeah. Right? Like, he's he's going to go over this little knoll. And we knew the ranch by then. I'm like, over that knoll, we can see for miles. We'll find, we'll go up over here, creep up to this knoll, and we'll if we have to, we'll shoot him again. If not, he might be laying up there dead. So I told my dad, I'm like, I'm like Dad, you stay back here by the truck. Just kind of as a landmark. I said, Jens and I, I'm like, I'm going to grab my gun just in case because um, my gun has a dial on it. And I'm like, he's going to grab his gun. And I'm like, we're going to crawl up. We're going to sneak up over this knoll and shoot him. I didn't get my backpack or nothing. I'm like, we're just going to go up here and shoot him again. Did I say earlier about being prepared? 
this is so unlike me that I did this, but I thought it was a slam dunk. You know, so anyway, we we go up to this knoll and we look down in this big bowl and there ain't nothing. There's nothing there. And I'm like, there's this just can't be. So I'm glass and glass and glass in my binos and I don't see anything. And um couldn't find anything. So in the bottom of this big bowl, there was like a old crick bed. I mean, probably hadn't had water for years, but a little bit of higher brush around there. And I'm like, he must be laying in there somewhere. We just can't see him. Because even the sage there wasn't so thick. You, you could see in it, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, let's go look at that crick bottom. And, and mind you, it's getting later. Okay. Like time's clipping away at this point. And so we get down. We walk around the crick bottom. Some, and I'm like, nothing. I'm like, this just doesn't. Because he was hurt. I'm like, this just don't make sense. So now he's starting to feel, my son's starting to feel a little, because, you know, it's kind of, he's, I think he was starting to feel that, like, we haven't had any opportunities, and I might have just blown my only opportunity, you know? And so I could see that creeping in, and I'm like, no, I got to find, like, you know, I got to find this thing. So I'm glassing, 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 and I looked up to the north, and didn't I see, it was, I think it was about 700 yards, I'm glassing, and I see a head sticking up above a patch of sagebrush. And I'm like, that has to be our our antelope. So I called my dad and I'm like, dad, we, I think mean, we found him way up to the north. I said, we're going to stock up to him. But the problem is between that antelope and my son and I, is nothing, hmm. no con, no contour, nothing. There was nothing we could do to be hidden. <clears throat> so I'm like, we're going to start that will bend over walk, you know, the duck walk kind of thing. I'm like Jen's just stay right in line with me. We're going to duck walk. We're probably duck walk 20, 30 yards. Stop. I'm going to glass, make sure nothing's changed. So we did that, did that, did that. Um, Got to within about 500 yards, and he, he didn't spook. And I could just see him the way he was laying there. I got a better look at him. I'm like, I know this is our buck. And I'm like, for multiple reasons. Number one, he'd probably be gonzo by now if he wasn't. And I could just see he just didn't look right. So we keep going. We did about 400 yards, and he stands up. And um, so I'm like, get down. So we, we crouch down, and I'm glassing him. And I could see that. I could see the blood all over the shoulder. He had a good limp to him. But I'm like, we need to get another shot in this buck because it's getting late, and there are coyotes everywhere out there <laughs> and i'm like so i told my son i'm like look here's what's going to happen we're going to try to get closer and i'm like no pressure but there's a lot of pressure like <laughs> you got one shot like you need to anchor this with one shot because if you miss he's going to take off it's going to be dark we're never we're not going to find him tonight and if we're lucky we'll find him tomorrow and it'll be half eaten by a coyote you know so i'm like trying not put pressure on him but there's a lot of pressure yeah um so i'm like we're gonna try to get a little bit closer because it's 400 is pretty far so that buck kind of was up and moving, um, and when he would turn away from us, we'd like go, and then I'd see him turn a little bit and I'd say stop. So and then he bedded back down, and this time he was up on this up on a hill a little bit, but wide open, like wide ass open between us and him. So then we crawled and we crawled and we got to three hundred and twenty three yards, and now we're about it was about twelve or thirteen minutes till end of shooting time. I'm like, Jens, this is it. This is the closest we're gonna get. I'm afraid we're gonna spook him. And if we spook him, it's over. And I said, we've got about 10 minutes to if we can't shoot again. And I'm like, can you make this shot? 323 yards. I said, I don't know. That's pretty far. And I'm like, you've been practicing far. And the problem is, like, we really practice out. To, I was thought for sure I'd get him within 200 yards of an antelope. And he doesn't have a dial on his scope. It's just. And so, like, I'm like, how do I explain to a 12-year-old, you know, use your scope and aim, you know, 11 inches above the kill spot. Like, you know what I mean? That just doesn't. I'm like, here's what's going to happen, Jen. You're going to shoot my gun. And we're going to dial it, and you're going to shoot my gun. He's, oh. He's like, Dad, you got it. I shoot a 280 Ackley. Um, great cartridge. Oh, I love man. it. I had a great cartridge. 280 Ackley, and I've killed, man, I love that thing. But I'm like, Jen, it's got a muzzle brake on it. I'm like, it'll kick just no more than your, two eight, your, two, your 243. 
And I'm like, I'll dial the yardage and you just, you, you'll just aim right where you want to hit and you'll be good. Cause okay. So I get my shooting sticks out and here's where I'm starting to get pissed. I didn't have my backpack. So I didn't have that. And we couldn't lay prone cause too much, too much cover, you know, some sage and stuff. I'm like, man, I should have my back here, backpack here for a backrest, but I don't. So he gets, you know, gets on a set of shooting sticks sitting down and he gets on it. I'm like, are you on it? He goes, yeah, dad, but I'm, I'm shaking. I'm like, okay, don't shoot. I'm like, cause you literally cannot, you'll, you only have one shot. Again, not trying to, but I'm adding pressure, right? I'm like, if you're shaking, I'm like, look, we got 10 minutes. I mean, just take your head away, take some deep breaths, just calm. We got time. Goes, okay, so he's, you know, I mean, he's bedded. I'm like, he's not going anywhere. So he goes, okay. So he sits there and, and like, how do you feel now? And he goes, I'm good. I'm like, okay. So he gets back on the gun. He's looking and I'm like, how, how are the crosshairs? And he goes, oh, dad, they're, they're still dancing too much, I think. I'm like, fine. Just, we still got time. Put your head down again. So when he put his head down, I dialed my scope down the power. It was up at like 12, 13 power. So I dialed it down to about five. And um, so I'm like, third time, I'm like, Jens, we're down like maybe five minutes. Try again, you know. And he, he gets on him and he goes, oh, dad, I'm on him. And I didn't tell him that I really dialed it down. But you know how that works, right? Yeah. The higher your power, the more more things move, right? So the lower power, you don't see that movement as much. He goes, I'm on, but can you zoom in a little bit? I'm like, sure. I zoomed it up to like seven. Mm-hmm. You know, so subconsciously he knew I zoomed it. And I'm like, are you steady? He goes, oh, I'm on him. I'm like, all right, flip the safety. So he flipped the safety, and I'm like, whenever you're ready, Jens, shoot, you know. And um, he goes, okay, I'm on him. And boom, he shoots, and he nailed it. It just nice. laid it out flat. Didn't even stand up. He just, boom. And I heard this thunk, and that antelope just went on his side, and his legs went out. And I'm like, so, that's where word thing I said earlier. I had three days of, like, this pent-up emotion of trying to get my son <laughs> an antelope. And then he hits one, and then we didn't think we were going to find it. And yeah. then we found it, and then we did this basically crawl to get within range and then 323 yards all the pressure of only having one shot and he nailed it so we both jump up and i went over and i grabbed him and swept him like you would a woman on the dance floor you know under his legs and i picked him up on my arms and i'm like jens and listen i'm not against swearing in front of kids but i don't swear in front of my kids like my kids could probably count on one hand how many times i swear in front of them it's just my thing but I swept him up like that in my arms. I'm like, Jens, you fucking nailed him. <laughs> yes. and, and we were just yelling yeah, and screaming, and it was man. so awesome. And um, it was just like, this is the best <laughs> moment. So it, was, awesome. it was so good. That and is great. He probably about shit himself when I said that. But <laughs> yeah, it man. Just, it, it's there the was moment, so though. much emotion yeah, in that moment. Yeah. So I'm like, but then, like, reality said, I'm like, oh, man, like, we've got an little dead here. Now it's pitch black. Our friends are about three miles away, and they get an, they have an antelope dead that hasn't been broken down. And I'm like, we've got some work ahead of us. And I don't my backpack, mm-hmm. which is my knife, my headlamp, everything's in it. Dumb. And so my dad's back at the truck. He doesn't have on X. Oh, oh no. Nice. And I'm like, I look at my cell phone that I have to now use for a light, and it's like down 30% to 30% left. And I'm like, shit. So... <laughs> You know, we get over, we find the, you know, we go over to the antelope, got it. I'm like, so now I got to try to navigate my dad. And he hasn't really been paying attention. He's always been in the backseat. You know, he hasn't been paying attention to all the two track roads and what one goes where and how and there. And I call my dad. I'm like, dad, like, you've got to come get us. Like, I don't have anything. We got to, you know. So he's like, okay, I'll get in a vehicle. And I'm like, call me back when you're in a vehicle and driving because I don't have, I don't have enough power. Like, I need to save battery. And I'm like, and I'm trying to explain. I'm like, go up this one two track and come down this two track. You'll be coming along in a fence. When you get to the fence, I'll flick a light at you. We'll be about 400 yards to your north. You'll see us. Come through a gate down there and just ball hop to us, you know. So 
He's like, which two track are you talking about? I'm like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> and um, I'm like, the one that we, you know. So anyway, so I try to describe to one of them. And so we're waiting there. Next thing you know, I see these lights bouncing up a two track. And and it was the right one. But he comes up to it. And I'm like, so I call him like, do you see any gates? And I'm like, I swear there's a gate up there. And he's like, I haven't seen one yet. I'm like, well, keep driving. He drives all the way up and he goes, I don't see a gate. I'm like, oh, all right. I'm like, so turn around, go back out to the road. And this was probably up two track, like almost two miles off the road. Which is a dirt road, which we hadn't seen a vehicle on the entire time. Like, we're in Podunk. Anyway, I'm like, then go north on the, on that two, on that dirt road, hit the next two track. But on that one, you got to go in the, the right gate, not the left gate to be in the field that we're in. So anyway, to make a long story short, <clears throat> I was able to navigate him. We got him there. And so then I butchered that whole thing up. And after we did pictures and celebrated and everything, so we butchered that one up. And then I'm like, called my buddies. And I'm like, okay, now we're going to come to get you guys. So then we drove there. I butchered that whole one for them, and so we had three antelope. So we went from no antelope in the first day, two days, to we knocked down three from noon till six thirty, whatever the hell it was. You so know, awesome. So it was kind of like that one where I shot it; it kind of like almost broke the ice that day, and shit just started dying. And um, we didn't get back to the house that day till it was like twelve thirty at night. We got back. Dang. We did, we just had an Airbnb that we stayed at there. Yeah. So then the then the the, the next day, which was the last day of the season, uh, my buddy he was able to shoot one. So we went four for six, which I've never not fully tagged out on any antelope hunt I've ever done. The two grandpas didn't get one, which I felt awful about. But I think both the grandpas being there to see their sons and their grandsons mm-hmm. both shoot one, I think they still were quite happy. That's beautiful. I think, yeah, yeah. I, think I still felt a little left down. That, yeah, well, of course. I mean, whenever you do any kind of trip where yeah. you're the guy that organizes it and puts it all together, you have the pressure. I mean, you're the one oh. that wants to see everyone else succeed around you before you do. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, at that stage in their life, like to see, you know, the next generations that they've created and be successful to them, I'll guarantee you they would say that was worth the trip tenfold. Absolutely. Over them shooting, you know, anything. Yeah, it was and it was a great trip. Look, I I don't want to say because we were 100 percent that it was like it was a dud of a trip because any any hunting trip, whether you kill or not, is is just awesome. Right. But um, so it was awesome, you know, and to have the kids get theirs and. You know, we had a lot of good laughs, and it, it was just a – and then we freaking missed our flight on the way home. <laughs> that's, that's too long of a story. I wrote this podcast. will go for five hours, but we missed our flight, so our wives were all anxious for us to get home. We're like, well, honey, we missed our flight, but we got on a red eye, so we'll be home. We'll be pulling in the driveway about three in the morning, four in the morning. <laughs> so we ended up still getting home, but it was a long story as to how that flight – I've never missed a flight coming home from that trip, but that was a debacle anyway. Yeah. So anyway – um, so then I was all fired up for the, for the deer trip. Right. And, um, so we go back out in November, me and a buddy, and we really wanted to hunt mule deer, but on day number two, we had 160 inch white in, in the, it's a buck tag, right? So it's good for either species. So on day number two, we had 160 inch whitetail step out in front of my buddy on a big alfalfa pivot and changed from a mule deer focus to a whitetail hunt, like instantly <laughs> and um so he made a great it was like 425 yards he made a great shot wow um and it's just a hawking buck man 100 160 inches and it was it was kind of narrow but i think it was only like 15 or 16 inches wide but just tying for days heavy mass giant body big old rutted up neck just a tank of a buck and he was all fired up and then you know i was really wanting to get a mule deer mule deer is kind of my passion you know my biggest passion hunting the west is probably mule deer and I really wanted to get a mule deer. And we, we were seeing some mule deer, but for whatever reason, we just run more whitetail than mule deer on this trip. Yeah. Um, and I had a buddy that hunted this ranch the previous year with a neighboring ranch. 
And it was the opposite. They were like covered up in mule deer, not very many whitetails. So I don't know whether it was the way the crop rotations went that year or something, whatever. But we, and we found some other bucks, some muley bucks that were just young. You know, nice, you know, four buys and stuff, but they were just young. Well, there was this one milo field that was just north. There's a big 20,000-acre piece that we were focusing on. There was a milo field just above the highway that was on like 150 or so acre tract. So we had 2,000 acre, or 20,000 acres south of that below this highway. And then we had a piece to the north of it and a piece to the east of it and not the west. So every morning we would we'd check that field out, and there was this huge two-point in there, like four-corn. But, I mean, mature deer, like big forks, like um, – Almost like you'd kill him big, right? Mm-hmm. And he had a group of like seven does, I think it was. So every morning we stopped there and see. And this is early November, so things could change daily, right? Um, so a couple first couple of days we saw them in there, but not, not the buck we wanted to kill and we'd hunt in other places. And we're getting towards the end of our trip, and we're like, we were wondering. We never stayed long enough to know, like, where those deer, when they leave that mile, where are they going? Are they coming on to us? Are they going west to the property that's not us? Like, we need to know in case a big buck goes in there. So one morning we sat on him for a little bit and we watched him. And right along the main highway, there's also a, a railroad bed there. It's a raised belt bed. It's probably, I don't know, 20 feet high. Probably as high as a two-story house high. Maybe not mm-hmm. quite, but high, big bank, right? Active railroad. So anyway, you know, you, if you were not, if you're staying on the highway, just to the north was the railroad. I mean, 30, 40 yards, 50 yards, you know? And then you come off the backside of that and there's like a bunch of red brush and thick stuff and then that milo field. So the one morning we sat there and watched, and what they did was they'd leave that milo, and they'd stage in that red brush, like brushy, like on the backside of that railroad bed, and then they went and crossed the bed, crossed the highway onto our 20,000 acres into, this, into a big sage, into these big sand dunes with big sage sand dunes. It's like, perfect. That's, we can get a buck in there that we need. You know, if they just do that, we're money. So come our last full day of hunting, that morning, I'm like, Let's check this field again, this mile of field. So we pull up in the truck and I put the spotting scope on it. It's still dark, but you can just start to make out bodies. And I'm scanning with my spotting scope and um, I got a good glass. I got Swarovski glass. You can, you know, you can see pretty good even in the, even before shooting time. And I'm scanning and I'm like, okay, they're there. They're here. And I'm scanning. I'm like, whoa, like there's something big, like bigger than that two point big. Like there's a big blob out here. Um, We had actually the night before saw a hammer whitetail that, we were going to focus on that day. I was going to switch from my mule deer passion to a whitetail because we had spotted a really big buck. But anyway, um, it changed. I'm like, we're sitting here till daylight enough that I can get eyes on this buck. So we sat and the sun starts to come up and I'm, I'm trying to break him down. He's about 400 yards out. So not too far, but still in like low light. I'm looking, I'm like, okay, it's definitely not that big two point. And he's a giant body. And I could see one good fork. And I'm like, I think he's got other forks. I just, I need a little bit more light. So we're waiting, waiting, waiting. And I also want to see what happens. Well, then in the meantime, he breaks one doe off of that group. And there was that other big fork horn or big, yeah, big forky in there. And then there was like two little forkies and the spike and then all the does. So he pulled a doe off. The rest of the group came down to that red brush. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like these ones are going to do the script, right? They're going to come across the railroad bed to where we could kill them. And he's going to keep this doe and take her off to the west away from this where we can't hunt. And I'm like, dang gum it. So anyway, we're watching, 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 and I'm, you know, getting better looks at this deer. Got a good fork, and then it's getting daylight. I'm like, damn it, he's really pinched up. His other three forks were really pinched, and I, they were really drought stricken out there this year. And I think he just didn't finish good, you know. Um, but I'm like, he's a slob of a deer, big mature buck. Like, it's our last full day. We had another half day if we wanted to, but I, I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna kill this. I'm buck. going for yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm all in. 
Um, I'd rather shoot this big mature buck that ain't get it anywhere near my biggest score mule deer, but I'm like, he's just a big old buck. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'd rather kill him than go shoot that big white tail we were on, right? So, me and my buddy are sitting in the truck and we're like, yeah, but he just got to come this way, you know? So we're watching and he, he was pulling her away to the west. And I'm like, damn it. But then, for whatever reason, he started nudging her back. And um, so they started coming to this towards the red brush. And then I got some real good scope, uh, phone scope footage of him, video of him. And looked at him and I'm like, okay, we need to make our game plan. You know, I'm like, so I ditch out, go get into, go into our property, you know, call them to these big sand dunes where, we, where I kind of felt they were going to come. And, and um, I told my buddy, I'm like, you need to go up, <clears throat> way up around in the next road to the north to where you can see the back of that, of that railroad bed to see what happens, you know. He goes, okay. So I got my back. This time I was smart. Took my backpack <laughs> and everything, right? Yeah. Um, put all my gear, hiked up in there a good ways, and, um, you know, got set up on, you know, just over the bluff of the sand dune where I was, you know, wasn't silhouette. Everything was perfect. Like, they just got to come up. They just got to read the script and come over. So I'm sitting there, and it seemed like eternity, but it wasn't. You know, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at the railroad bed, and I see a, I see a head. And it's a doe. And she comes up, and she's, you know, scanning, looking around, nothing. She comes up over. And then all of a sudden, I see this big old buck come over, and I'm like, he pushed her over. And I'm like, it's game time, right? <laughs> so they come down, cross the river bed, cross um, cross the highway, and then they're just working towards me. And um, so I'm just watching them, you know, waiting, 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 waiting. And then they come down, and um, they're coming, you know, my left to right from north to south. And I'm like, when they get, like, almost directly in front of me, it's going to be a perfect shot. And if I let them get too far past there's these sand dune fingers that go down and they'll get behind that and then it'll get all squirrely off to hike over the next sand dune and get them. Like, I just need to kill him here. So yeah, he was 330 yards and dumped him right there. So yeah, awesome. it was so awesome. So Dude. I went down to him and I killed some pretty big mule deer over the years, but by far this thing was the biggest body. He was over 300 pounds. Like he was just, that's a huge animal, man. <laughs> I went down and I'm like his head, neck and, just, just a big, like I said, he's not the biggest scorn deer, but just the deer you want to kill. You know yeah. What I mean? Like, and it, it's not like this was like a 20 point tag that I've been waiting my whole life to drive. I've done a couple of those and ate my tags on, you know, passing one eighties, hunting bigger deer. And then like, how hard is that? Dude. Oh my God. Again, we're getting late here, but I can tell you some <laughs> other stories. I had two hunts in a row on mule deer where I was, I passed some slammers, but Uh-oh. we were after two specific bucks and well, it's too long for We'll have to do this again. Cause there's some good stories. Some of those two. Heck you know? yeah. Oh, we'll but anyway, him. yeah, 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 that, fool. but anyway, so that was, yeah, that was Colorado. And then, you know, we come home and, mm-hmm. uh, missed a lot of archer season because of that. And, um, probably on feeling a little of, behind. Yeah. You know? But, you know, I feel pretty good. I got a pretty good chunk of property and added to it and, um, had some good food plot and a lot of good, of course, when I was gone, I had my, my target bucks were daylight. And, <laughs> of know, course like, they were. <laughs> you, you know, that's the curse of a trail cam or a, a cellular cam, right? Yeah. But, um, but anyway, we just weren't able to, in one night I had like this awesome two year old eight point, my son didn't, he's like, I don't know if I want to go tonight. I'm like, Jens, the weather, everything was right. You know, the weather, the front, I mean like they're moving tonight. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, dad, if I want to go tonight, I'm like, all right, I'm going. And of course this beautiful two year old eight point, um, that would have been a slammer for him comes out in my food plot like an hour before dark. And then, then like, a, I think maybe three year old 10, um, Comes out and they were in front of me for probably twenty minutes and sparring and push. I mean, I could have shot him a gazillion times over. And in hindsight, we'll talk. You know, maybe another podcast talk about this. But um, like at ten point, I should have. I probably should have killed him. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna save him for my son and whatever. Should have killed him. And then so I didn't. I didn't kill with a bow this year. And I had my number one target buck 
one day at 50 yards in that food plot. Again, I should have killed him, but it was early in the season. And I'm like, I can shoot 50. But I'm like, you know. I'll have another opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Again, famous. Elsewhere. So anyway, I didn't kill him. <laughs> but then we had a great first day of gun season. My son, my son shot a really good buck. You know, first thing in the morning. And then I shot, I shot my number three target list buck um, that, that afternoon or that evening. So, um, you know, we both shot a shot good bucks the first day of gun season. So, yeah, man. And then trapping here lately, we just caught a couple big beavers and I caught a fisher today. So it's been had a pretty good run here this fall. It's I would say so. Yeah. Year, yeah. Man. Oh, that is so awesome. He had a bunch of muskrats, my son. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love muskrat trapping. So he loves it. I do. Uh, I do. I know when I talked to you when I was down there, uh, like you said, dropping the deer off, you said that you were, you guys were lined up for a pretty good spot opening day. And then sure enough, I see the pictures and yeah. you guys <laughs> dropped a couple really yeah, good we ones. Did. We had and a, I was yeah, so good, pumped up for good you. Thing. So, um, yeah, we had a good, we had a good year, you know, and a lot of other good stories I'd like to talk with you guys about, but. Oh, we'll have you back. Oh, you're how long this is a thousand percent coming back, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's just one Western story. My goodness, like I know, I got some other deer hunts or mule deer hunts or it's so good, man. Got about twenty three. That I bet that story. We'll have to do that. Yeah, we'll have to do that. (laughs) Oh, I want to hear that. that, There there were some pretty epic um, things that happened on that. That needs to happen for sure. They say that they say that mountain range down there where the ibex are in New Mexico, the the Florida Mountains, is the. They say it's the. I don't know if it's gnarliest is the right word, mountain mountain terrain in the lower U.S. Oh, I can imagine mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Absolutely. And those objects are just crazy. Yeah. But that was awesome. That is really cool. Yeah. Really There's, cool. That's a teaser, right, for another. We're yeah. going to get into that, yeah. Yeah. Before we let you go, man, let everybody know where they can find you, where they can find your taxidermy, where they can find I almost don't want to stuff. until I get myself, my ass caught <laughs> well, up. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's up to you. That's <laughs> no, up to you. Season's cool. over. It is where it is. And like I said, I got plans in place. So, um I don't do a web page or anything or do much advertising other than I do have a Facebook page and I should be better about putting more pictures on there, but it's visions of nature is the taxidermy. Um, so you can find it on Facebook and I don't even know what the hell my f- personal Facebook is. I don't know if it's Jen's Jorgensen. Or I'm Jen. pretty sure it's, Jen. it's just Jen's. It yeah, might have E. Jen. I don't know. Yeah. And Instagram, I think it's Jen's E. Jor- Jen's E. Dot Jorgensen or something like that. So it's close. Yeah. We'll tag in all the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Cause, yeah, yeah. It'll no, be my, good. My wife probably knows them all, but. <laughs> um, which I need to give. An, I mean, I'm blessed with. <clears throat> look, I, you know, I, I'm blessed with a very supportive family, um, both extended family and you know my close family with my wife, and she's been. I mean, she she lets me live my passion, which is the Western stuff. You know, what I mean, that's mm-hmm. the big thing. That's the harder stuff. Like kind at home, yeah, you do a bunch of that, but you're home every night. But you know, she she really allows me to feed my passion of hunting the West, and you know, going away for a week or so every year, and um, I'm just blessed with the. I got a good one. There's something so, to be said for that, yeah, man. man. Yeah, definitely. So, well, dude, thank you so much that for was coming fun. on. This is long yeah. overdue. I feel, yeah. <laughs> You're a great podcaster. This is awesome. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't have to talk much. I drank through both my drinks for once. <laughs> Never those get the drink. Seven up zeros are slamming them down. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, there's some Malibu in those. Okay, sir. <laughs> and they were delicious. Delish. <laughs> they were fantastic. And I was drinking them out of my new visions of nature. Uh, koozie. koozie. Listen, yeah. I'm stoked yeah. about this koozie. <laughs> Dude, I might have to keep the koozie here actually because uh, it's it's very nice official for podcast. It's good. Yeah, it's yeah, gonna it's be nice from now on. Table. Like, I'm retiring like, this one. It's as integral as these mics are, right? That's yeah. right. <laughs> you know, it's good when I'm retiring a Yeti koozie for right. <laughs> if I was so damn cheap, I'd have those. You know, some Yetis engraved with my oh, stuff. Oh man, that's I love it. That would be asking a lot. For they sure. need to make these with like a foam bottom on them. 
Yeah, yeah. they went for like nice non-slick. Yeah, right? absolutely. I would, but I'm just saying. Yeah, they cost it's, enough. You could slap a little uh, uh, thing, yeti. Right? right. <laughs> no. It's the look of them that they don't want to yeah, sacrifice. That's exactly why. it. I know. You know. Come on, they're killing me. Freaking yeti. Yeah. Maybe we'll have them on the podcast next. Yeah. Tell Good luck with up. that. Tell them what's up. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, guys. You know, I got a few ideas for you guys. Here. Just, just hear me out. Just hear me out. <laughs> Jens, what's so, the chances like I can get like a really big white tail leg and we can tan it and just have like a fur outside of this? You need like a elk sack <laughs> on there or something. <laughs> yeah. A big old sack on there. Yeah. It'd be legit. That would be legit. Yeah, all dude. right. All right. Well, I'm down. That's what I got to do now. It's my new yeah. goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had a couple white tail that probably would have fit would, in would that. You yeah. Stretch it around. Yeah. Oh, unreal. Sure. We'll come up with something for you, buddy. Don't worry. Okay. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, until next week. The distraction is real. The distraction is real. Let's go.